When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. And today we're in here with someone I love to speak to, someone who's one of my favorite people to have conversations with, Van Frickin' Lathan. What up, what up, what up, what up? And of course, I got AD Grizzly with me. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to start with a question because I'm a fan of the platform. Yes. I'm a fan of the platform. Are y'all good? Who's your who? He's pointing at oh, Yassi. Oh, yeah, yeah, we good. Y'all good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. Because <laughs> you called me, too. I did. Mm-hmm. I did. I'm going to be honest with you. I was watching that shit like it was a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, y'all had me. I don't know if it's because it was because wasn't too much other shit going on, but I was, I, I, I rewatched the interview like five times, right? Whatever, as much of it as I could watch. Then I watched all the reactions. Mm. Then I watched the follow up. I was like on some housewife shit with the <laughs> drama going on over here at No Jumper. But I'm glad that y'all was able to, you know, piece shit up. Yeah, you call, when you called me, I was like, oh my God. During that OT Yassi period, there was a part of me that was like, damn, like, there must, there must not be that much other good shit to pay attention to right now because people are really talking about this. But I feel like a lot of times in rap, like, there'll be some shit like that going on. But then meanwhile, there, there's like a bigger story that people mm-hmm. are paying attention to. I was like, this must be kind of a dry moment because people are really into this well, at this moment. And it's weird because people that I used to talk to, like, actual important shit about, like, people that would hit me up, like, man, what's going on with, like... Israel and Palestine and Van, what we gotta do about this? I was like, yo man, did you see this shit though? <laughs> and we was talking about it, but it was dope. It was dope, man. That's what happens sometimes when you're making content. Yeah. You know, signals get crossed. Well, but that was a weird moment where, you know, we've always wanted to do more podcasts on this channel and stuff. And for me, you know, typically when I do a show like with the No Jumper show or, or whatever, it's kind of like, let's just put people together and maybe we'll mix and match, we'll mm-hmm. remove somebody, we'll add somebody new, et cetera. But we don't do a lot of pre-planning for the Word. streams. And the, and with AD, it's kind of like, oh, we want to give you a podcast. And when he like was suggesting different people they want to do the podcast with... I went, you know, I went missing. Well, from, but from my perspective, it's kind of like, how much do you want to police that if you're right. me? Like, how much do you want to get in there and be like, I, you know, like do an episode together and then let's really look at it and see how we think the vibe is and stuff. AD just jumping in. He's like, I can do this shit with anybody. I'll just hop on with. So I feel like him and Yassi, maybe uh, there could have been more work done before that to figure out that they were going to hate each other if they continued to, <laughs> if they did a podcast see, together. This is, this is my standpoint on the shit, right? Is hate a good word there? No. Nah. Cause my <laughs> thing is, is that it's a strong word. The, the media and everybody else had opinions when like, off the camera, like, I'm talking to this girl every fucking day, and we're discussing all type of random shit, so it's just like, I feel like more people put pressure on us than than what me and her was talking about. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, because you know what happens when you're making content, I'm sure y'all know this. Number one, I thought she conducted herself really, really well. I just did. Thought like, And, and keep in mind, she was like brand new yeah. to, I, that was like the very beginning of right. her doing anything on camera, as far as I know. But what happens is, when you make content, and when you hear you're not like a person anymore, right? You become an avatar for people's feelings. So when they are angry, they then plug in with you being angry. 
Mm-hmm. When they are turned up about something, they plug in with you being turned up about something. And then when you when they see so much of you and you get in the position and you and you react differently than the way they would have reacted, they go, oh shit. Mm. Is this person really worth being sort of the spoke person spokesperson for my feelings and my emotions and my thoughts? Because mm-hmm. here's a situation where I would have clearly done A and that now they are doing B. The thing with that is like, and sometimes it's hard to remind people, but I'd be like, you know, I'm a person too. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So sometimes like if you saw me with the Kanye thing, it's like, oh my God, he said everything I would have said. Well, sometimes I'm going to say shit that you wouldn't have said. Mm. Sometimes I'm going to say shit that you won't like. And sometimes I'm going to say shit that's wrong. Mm. But if you fuck with me, you fuck with me. And you got to fuck with me through all of that. You know what I mean? And so when I saw that, it's like, that's what happens. That to that to me is when you lean into that. And that's kind of what, because like, that's what people want to see. People want to see people who are who who go through shit and figure shit out. Because believe it or not, it's not on the internet, but we do that every day. Right. Because mm-hmm. we all want to <laughs> be the Joe Budden. Like when we do podcasts, because this is someone that people, his fans have stuck around for a lot of mental illness, a lot of a lot of moments in which they, you know, clearly a large percentage of the fan base was not in agreement with him and they suck around. And that's the kind of fan base you want. I want to be able to have a mental breakdown on here and I want you all to watch and laugh and, and be amused by my suffering and then still tune in next week when my head is screwed on a little bit better. Right. You did last week. I tweaked out a little last week. Didn't <laughs> I, do, I didn't see that. What happened last week? Okay. I'm behind. It was a lot of shit going on. Pieces. There was a lot of shit going on. Fusi and uh, Keemstar pulled up, and we did the podcast with them. And then what happened is that there's another uh, rapper that we're all cool with, that we all are like friendly with and stuff, but I haven't seen him in a long time. Somebody gave him the address. He pulls up, and we're trying to like actually do the podcast after these guests left. We're trying to get back into it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was just like miscommunication where he thought it, he was pulling up. And actually, those people had already left. We didn't even know why he was pulling up. And I kept trying to, like, get back into the conversation. And, like, when you do a podcast, you really need to be, especially a live podcast, you need to be in an environment where nobody can bother you. Yeah. You know, you need to, like, not be hearing people talking in the background if people show up. And that really got me fucking flustered uh, to the point where I probably overreacted because I felt like I was having my ability to, like, get focused on the podcast kind of robbed from me. And it wasn't his fault because I ended up figuring out that, you know, whatever. We talked. It's whatever. But, yeah, I tweaked out a little. Well, I mean, look, you're the top guy. There's only so much you can tweak, Adam. You can't really tweak. That's what really happens <laughs> when you get in the position. Like, AD yeah. know this. When your homies are, 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 like, dependent on you, your ability to tweak becomes minimal. Because mm. then your tweak is then fucking exacerbated and exaggerated put under the magnifying glass right. let's figure out what's going on here but that that's what's weird and sometimes it feels like a double standard when like you lebron say, can't tweet alex right. caruso mm. can tweet but okay there's a lot of examples i can think of like you know rest in peace but when nipsey punched that security guard everybody fucking loved it it's like a historic moment in hip-hop because Everybody's impression of Nipsey is that he's such a good dude that he had to be right in that in that situation. If I punch the security guard, people is going viral for sure. I don't think I'm going to get the benefit of the doubt. Well, 
Yeah, probably not. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. That also, also, some people also, get a little bit also, more leeway. With it that. depends on the security guard. Definitely, that's yeah. true. Right, but who, if they're who, trans, oh, that's over. Yeah. But whoever, <laughs> but whoever your identity is, that's what you lead with, right? Mm, we yeah. know Nip was solid. God bless him. We know Nip was solid. So, shit, I'm gonna err on the side of whoever fucked with him was in the wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Poor security guard. That guy's got to live with everybody thinking that's the best clip ever. Talking about it when is. he slapped him? The victory slap? <laughs> Can you slap imagine, imagine that security guard having to deal with that coming up every couple months? They should sell that as an NFT. <laughs> they should. By the way, I am completely and totally anti-violence, but that was a beautiful slap. Yeah. <laughs> it was so well-performed that that was a big part of it. He yeah. reached back. It was almost like a loving slap. Because you know when your mama slap you, she don't do it with malice. She does it with intent to straighten your ass up. Mm. And that's why she comes all the way back because she's accessing her emotions before she come through and slap the shit out of you. That's kind of how Nip did it. Nip was just like, yo, get right. But <laughs> you seem like you speak about child abuse kind of lovingly there. Speak about child abuse. This is a this is this is a white thing. This is a white thing. Yeah, because I'll never slap my kid. To me, that that just is is totally off limits. But you know what else? You need that shit though, bro. Like as a kid, yeah, you don't need to get slapped. Not yet. Not yet. She's telling you, "Fuck you, dad. You could go kill yourself." Let me tell let me tell you something else though. It also depends on the stakes, right? So where I'm from, my parents say, "Hey, Van," like I'm South Baton Rouge. My parents say, "Hey, Van, be here at this certain time, right?" What if I say no? I might get really fucked up for real. You know but, what I'm saying? But, but is, what, what isn't if, that a bad thing? Like, I don't want my kids to think that a verbal dispute can just, like, logically elevate to a, a violent dispute. I don't want them to think that's even an option. I mean, but as a, somebody who doesn't hit their kids, I needed that shit back then, especially where I grew up at. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You need discipline because what it teaches you is you have respect for authority figures. Like, other, without that, you're going to go around telling everybody, fuck you, I don't have to listen to you, and you might get hurt in the process because you didn't get taught at home how to handle yourself yeah. around authority. My pops used to say, you got to be, you have to be more afraid of me than you are of the streets. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, because he, because the stakes were so high. Now, obviously, you know, I don't have any kids, but I couldn't see myself. I look at the kids now. I don't even want to discipline my fucking dog. Mm. I got the <laughs> cutest dog in the world, and I, you know, my girl be like, "Oh, you gotta make him do something for the treats." Whatever I eat, I give him half. He's just looking at me. It's like whatever. But when we grew up, like they were afraid. I know, I'll tell you a story real quick. My pops, uh, my pops is in the car one time, and my uncle who passed away, he had come home from jail, and my dad is like on the phone with him. And whatever happening, whatever is happening in this phone call, it's obvious that my uncle is back on crack. Mm. Whatever's happening, like, so he gets off the phone, hangs the phone up, looks at me like, yo, man, Mark back on that shit, man. Fuck. And I'm sitting in the car, 12, 13, actually a little bit older than that, maybe 14, 15 years old. And he looks at me and he goes, yo, if I ever catch you fucking with drugs, if I ever catch you fucking with drugs, I'm going to beat the living shit out of you. If I ever catch you bringing that shit in your mama house, Mm. Like I'll kill you myself And I'm sitting there like yo I didn't do nothing Like I'm sitting here you know, I'm on the little game boy or whatever Like I didn't do nothing Why are you getting at me He's afraid He's he's looking at his brother Somebody who he loves And he's like He's seeing what could happen If you don't listen If you go mm. astray If you play in a certain way And I love my uncle to death I'm not trying to just You know besmirch his name He's passed on now But you know, that's a lot for a man to kind of keep his kids away from. So they don't always do it the most elegant way. And, and to be honest, when I think about drugs and how I might one day talk to my kid or kids about drugs, that is the one thing 
that it immediately just pops into my head that I would want to basically threaten them with violence to let them know how serious that is. Like, this is actually a big enough deal that, you know, and there's other things too, like in general, like just being a bad person in general, but with the drug thing, you know how dangerous it is. You know how unprepared they are for a kid, as a kid. It's, it seems to me like that's one of the few things where you really want them to be that scared of you. I guess the, the question is, given that everybody gets basically told not to do drugs throughout their life, and then everybody ends up at least experimenting with drugs, large majority of people, is, it, is, is making it that taboo actually beneficial to your goal of keeping them off drugs for their Hell entire yeah, life? yeah, with the fentanyl and everything it is now. I tell my little brother all the time, I'll be like, nigga, Smoke your weed. I don't care. I don't even care if you drink. Don't overdo the shit. But when you get into this powder and you get into this crystal and all this shit that these kids is doing now, all these pills and shit, it's like, nah. And I'd rather fuck you up than see you in the goddamn more because I'm going to feel bad that I could have intervened in doing that shit. And it's the same way like my mom when it comes down to gang banging. You feel me? She, my little brother that's in the room right here, she took him to, made him go to totally different schools. You know what I'm saying? Took him totally different out of the way because guess what? You have a son that's in prison. You have a son that's that's a gang member. You have you have a he has a brother that got murdered that was also a gang member. You take him out of that element, you don't want that no more. And she's threatened him all the time. He couldn't go, I can go out to the park for 10 hours and come back home and it's cool. He can't go to the park for three hours as a kid because she's thinking that he's getting into something, that trauma right there. But she wasn't thinking that about your childhood she didn't really know that it was going to be like that for you. i was i was a first generation i was older you know mm -hmm. what i mean they grew up in a they grew up in a, a community that everybody knew each other like family mm -hmm. they played cars together everybody hosted Word. stuff you know what i mean there wasn't no gang members and stuff like that and then come come gang members and things of that nature then my grandma has to deal with that shit and then me and my homeboys are like the first generation of our neighborhood who making the neighborhood go crazy and then my little brother is the second generation is doing all the bullshit, and then it comes to him. Yeah, it's not foolproof, by the way. Right. You know the 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 sort of um, societal conditions that certain people exist in. Sometimes they win. Hmm. Sometimes they win a little bit. Sometimes they win a lot. Sometimes hmm. people dabble. Sometimes it's a way of life. But I think for the generation, especially you know where I'm from, I think for the generation. My father, my uncles, all of them, they were trying to figure out how they changed outcomes, mm. you know? With me specifically, with my sister, with my brothers, with some of the, they're trying to figure out how they change outcomes. And they look at it and sort of, when you just let people decide, you have to look at the matrix of options that they have. Mm. And I think that's what people don't really understand about society as a whole, right? So look, if, and we talk about this in terms of a difference between maybe how you grew up and how I grew up. And I'm not going to I don't know exactly what your story was, but I do know I'm in the crib with my homeboy Gray one time. Gray is a white dude. Gray's mom comes home. She like she's about to take Gray to go do something. Right. And she says, uh, well, look, we need to go ahead and go get ready now, because when we start going, it's going to it's going to be too chaotic. I'm going to have to get with your little brother. He goes, well, it's not till 630. Why would we have to do it now? And he asked his mother why. And I remember thinking to myself, this motherfucker is crazy. <laughs> I, I was thinking to him, I'm like, oh, shit. Great. Put your head down. It's about to happen to you. You know what I'm saying? And and she looks back at him and. Oh, shit. Somebody following me. It's Adam. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, shit. <laughs> Connecticut. Who the fuck do I know in Connecticut? All right. Sorry about that. So anyway, so she looks back at him, and then they fucking negotiate it, right? And 
And I thought about that. I thought about the fact that, like, a lot of these things, like, don't talk while grown folks is talking. Mm. Like, don't, because what are the grown folks talking about? They talking about some shit that your little mind probably ain't ready to fucking, you know what I mean? Like, it's when you have different circumstances, you have different conversations. Mm. And so I had, there was a narrow path growing up in Gardeer Lane, South Baton Rouge, for you to kind of, like, Stay out of all of that shit. Mm -hmm. And you have to thread a certain needle. So there was all of these other options, right? And they're so easy. You could play basketball all evening, then somebody could be like, hey, Van, take this up the, up the street for me. And they like 50, 100 bucks. And you're like, why wouldn't you want the 50 or $100? Of course you're going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. When they came to me, I would be like, no, I was scared. What if I take it up there and then I see my pops? Or what if somebody sees me doing that and then they tell my dad? Mm. Or what if, God forbid, I get Pop doing it, and now he got to come get me? I was actually afraid of that moment, mm. and so I never fucked around. Yeah. When I think about my childhood, I'm not sure to what extent I should have been scared of my parents having that reaction. Like, I knew my parents were going to have that reaction if I got caught doing something illegal, and then I proceeded to get caught doing illegal shit, like, over and over and over. And the fact that they <laughs> kept getting more angry at me, and my dad kept beating my ass worse and worse— Somehow, like, my my brain was disconnected from that. I still felt like I'm going to just do the shit that I want to do, and who gives a fuck about the, the well, repercussions? You're white. That's how y'all look at life. It's like, yeah. it's my fucking country. <laughs> I fucking do whatever the fuck I want. You don't tell me shit. And you know what? Your, yeah. your, your parents was probably, they were probably torn because they were probably like, damn, he keeps fucking up. God damn it, he's got his own mind. Mm, I don't know. I think it took years for them to day. start to think that. To start no. to be like, mm, maybe maybe this is a good thing that he's got so much spunk. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> spunk. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's weird because I'm still in very much like the honeymoon stage of my child rearing where mm. my kid is six, almost seven months. She just does cute things like the worst thing that she does is like shit her pants or like throw food at the wall can't really get mad at her about anything yet well you'll never be able to yeah you'll never be able to get mad at her about anything yeah because your life has been so well documented mm. that when she starts to test you she is going to have so much actual shit it would be like like prince having kids mm. Think about Prince having kids, and it's like, don't stay up late. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, Dad? protected sex only. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what are you, like, Dad, what are you talking about? Hey, don't stay out late. Yeah. Hey, you're like, you, you, know, you know what I mean? So it's going to be, what would you be disapproving of? I don't know. I mean, she's going to have to get much older for me to actually start to get upset about things that she's doing. But, you know, a thing that comes to mind for me a lot is, okay, she's going to know that I fucking love all these rapper guys, right? Yeah, and that like we had one of a guy stop by the other day, and he was so fucked up. Mm -hmm. And like we love this guy's music, but even if my daughter was like eight, I probably would have had to basically explain to her like he's fucked up. Like there's a reason why he's acting like that. Right. But like, what is that gonna say to my? At some point, doesn't my kid have to have a reckoning of like, why do you fucking love this shit so much? But you're also telling me that the stuff that they're doing is really really bad, and you would potentially beat my ass for doing it. I mean, I, how do you how do you make sense of that at a certain point, you know? I think that's a good question. I think it just happens, right? Cuz I remember one day when like it materialized in my brain like who Mick Jagger and Marvin Gaye and all of these guys were some kind of way who they were and like everything that came with that. It just you just know it. You just know that these are rock stars and these are people and that 
society looks at them with a different set of rules. I personally think people, everyone who feigns, who clutches their pearls when they see rappers and celebrities acting up, I think they're telling an emotional lie. I think there is no possible way that platforms like this, platforms like TMZ where I used to work, all of these other platforms would, would, would exist if people did not like that. Mm. They love that. And the reason why they love it is because it is freeing to them. The reason why Tony Soprano, The Sopranos is the number one television show of all time. The reason why The Godfather is the number one movie of all time. If you watch those movies, they have very clear sort of almost religious sermons in them about why those guys don't follow the rules. Like mm -hmm. Vito Corleone says, hey. You think that I'm going to be another Pesce Devante? I'm going to be another guy who just some schmuck up here following the rules, going to work, going home, coming in like that. I, these are my, my morals, and this is my family, and I don't want to do it this way. Tony Soprano, same guy. Guy who has all of these family problems, all of these issues, right? But at the same time, lives by his own code. And people, that is an aphrodisiac to them. They like that. Right. Like, like they love to see that. So when they see rappers and shit, tearing up shit or rock stars tearing up shit or all of that they i promise you they love that but don't you think it's irresponsible for the media to basically like create these films propping up these guys who when i look at a lot of this stuff as i get older i'm like Tony Soprano is supposed to be the fucking protagonist in this show, and he's staying out all Horrible night, guy. fucking whores every fucking mm -hmm. night, ignoring his family, all ignoring right. his wife, putting his wife through hell. He's clearly like, if if you were gonna warn your daughter about the types of guys that she doesn't want to end up with, yes, he goes out and gets his money, but he does all kinds of abhorrent things. He, you know, I don't know right. if he actually kills anyone on the show, but he's clearly oh, like, he ordering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, does, he, should, yeah, he kills <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, he kills people. I sure. mean, but don't you think it's kind of disturbing that like a lot of the greatest American cinematography focuses on these kind of things? And is it irresponsible for them to continue doing that, given just how much we know about people? But he was he, like you said, he was flawed, but. The fact that a mob boss would go to therapy and it was like looked down upon as well too was just like, mm -hmm. like man, like that's real. Like what's more real than that? But like in American TV, that's like the start of or a start of us taking a more introspective look at these. You know, because like you're viewing him through the therapist's eyes on the show as a as through her eyes, you're doing a lot of terrible antisocial behavior, and it's clearly going to destroy your relationship with your kids, with your wife, et cetera. And, and that, that is an important show for that reason. But could you just have a real, like, mob TV show or series like, like, like that really just props these guys up and doesn't also call attention to the fact that they're horrible people? I don't know if you could really make a show like that in this modern Nobody arena, will watch right? it ever. Probably no, not. But they have to acknowledge how flawed they are because that's what The Sopranos was, is that you get to look at him through her eyes and see how flawed he is in her eyes. Let me tell you about a scene in The Sopranos specifically that talks about exactly what we're talking about. So remember when Melfi was attacked? Yes. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Melfi was attacked, right? It was like an attempted rape or something like that. Mm, right. Um, or maybe she was raped. I can't remember. No, I think she was. Attempted, right? I, yeah, I think I can't. I can't remember what. It was happened. in the parking garage. In right? the parking garage, yeah. right? So you know, it goes down. She's sitting there with Tony, and you are watching them, right? And the whole thing is, is he's asking her what's wrong, and the whole thing is, is she going to tell him what happened? Mm. The audience wanted her to tell Tony. If you go back and you watch that scene, 
the audience wanted her to say something, right? Because they knew what was going to be the outcome uh, when she did, that Tony was going to call whoever he needed to call and whoever needed to get dealt with was going to get dealt with. You wanted that. So as bad of a guy as Tony is, he represents something that's primal. The question is, why does the audience resonate with Tony Soprano? Forget about the responsibility um, for just for a second about making the show. Is, does that mean that people want to fuck whores all night? Does that mean that people want to skirt the law? Well, we're fascinated th- by people who push all of their worldly concerns aside and just sort of live that life because it's the like Tony Soprano or fucking, you know, Pooh Shiesty. They're the most extreme versions of ourselves. Precisely. Yeah. So the question is, all of these societal constraints, like we've created them, you know, and people like it. I mean, that's, Civilization is, is essentially like a, a pact, right? It's like, I won't kill you. I won't, I won't steal your car. I won't do it. It's a bunch of little treaties, a bunch of little treaties that we make with people, right? And that's why people get upset when there's injustice because we say, hey, we're living up to our part of the treaty. We're not doing this. We're paying taxes. Then why are the cops killing us? Mm. Like, it, does, it doesn't happen to Adam. So why are you sort of valuing and, and, and you know, holding up one agreement and the other agreement, you're not even recognizing it. So what is it about us? We're doing the same thing. Not everybody wants to do that. Mm. People look at that sometimes as limiting. They wonder, what would my life be like if I just said, fuck it, and did everything that I wanted to do? People love people who just go off and break rules and push lines and test things, right? Because mm. some people look at some of the, the rules that we've made in order to have society, and they go, hey, it's like not as much fun this way. And there have to be some people who don't live by this. And they take solace in that. I mean, I think you can draw a direct line between The Sopranos and Breaking Bad. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Breaking Bad is different because it's less that he's taking part, joining the society that has been passed down through the years where there's a structure. No, this is like a guy who's going through shit and he decides that he's going to break the law. And then throughout the show, you're forced to reckon with the question of why is he doing this? And over time on the show, he admits... I, was, I, I told the world the lie that I was doing this for my family. I like but the it. truth is, is I was doing this for me. I like it. And I think that that's a really important thing to reckon with. And I think a lot of people tell themselves convenient lies about why they live the, their life the way that they do. And I think it's always, you know, important for people to sort of try to dig a, a step deeper. Like for me with even just doing interviews, like I'm always kind of trying to figure out in my head, like what is the thing that's driving you to do this like what what really as you break down your you know worldly concerns what is it that's getting you out of bed in the morning like what what drives you is important and a lot of people never even get to the point of thinking about that and bro that's like the joker is just as popular as batman you know what i'm saying (laughs) and from one standpoint you can look at the joker and say you're right you know what i mean Batman, yeah, you may be a moral and you may take the moral high round. The Joker was like, you give this in front of people and they're going to act crazy the way that they want to fucking act. And if they were real, Batman would be in prison just like the Joker. You <laughs> yes, know, like right. they're both breaking the law pretty much in equal amounts, enough both, to send you to li- prison for life. Both totally insane. One just is, you know, empowered by a tremendous amount of privilege. Right. Batman, Batman broke the moment he saw his parents. He's got go. the cops fucking with him. Yeah. You know, he's doing press <laughs> conferences with him and shit. The Joker never gets that ability. You know what's interesting, though? Are you still in therapy? I am. When I decided I wanted to do therapy, and I started thinking about who, who do I know that is, uh, you know, 
conscious of their emotional state that I could ask for a recommendation. So now I'm in the position where me and Van are essentially seeing the same person. Let's not even say man or woman. Uh But we both dump our thoughts out to this person, and Uh then that person can never, ever legally or, you know, whatever, say anything about what the other person has said to the other person, which is kind of interesting to know that. Because if we were fucking the same girl, (laughs) we would be in a constant state of worry. Like, what what is she going to reveal to, et cetera? But we have, like, this relationship with the same person and yeah. we don't know i've mentioned him once or twice like in my sessions and there's not even any acknowledgement like oh van called me the other day and said this there's not even any acknowledgement that she even knows who that is yeah just completely i really haven't heard about it since the moment since the moment i'm i made the 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 wreck interesting just right? just totally professional yeah one of the best in the business yeah but therapy I wouldn't have made it through the pandemic without therapy. Mm. I, let me tell you something. This is like weird. So uh, I, during the pandemic, I went, I think, three and a half, four weeks without sleeping. Really? Mm. Yeah. Why? Um. So we didn't change our lives almost at all. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, it, 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 I was scared. You know, I have an anxiety deal, right? And I was scared. And then the fear, so this is what happened. So me and Jamel, <laughs> me and Jamel Hill, shout out to Jamel Hill. We went and we met with this guy. And this guy was like, a, uh, he was a producer who was thinking about doing a television show or something like that. Jamel's like, come meet the guy. So we, met, we went and we met with the guy. This was maybe like March 5th or 6th. We met early days. Early days. Now, so early enough that we knew what, the coronavirus was and we were watching it because I had hand sanitizer on my keys, but everything was still open, right? Mm. It wouldn't shut down until the next week. So, you know, I got the hand sanitizer on my keys. I'm using it and all that. We went, we meet with this guy at the King's Trail Cafe. We sit down, we have dinner. Uh, excuse me, we sit down, we have lunch. And when we have lunch with the guy, the guy is like sweating in his eyes or whatever. And I'm, and I'm like, yo, man, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I just came back from Mexico. I got a cold or whatever. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> this is not the... And he's like, ah, fuck that. That's thing. That's not a big deal. That's not anything. Blah, 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 blah. So we sit down. We talk about the show or whatever. Jamel leaves. I get my food. I'm so scared that I don't want to eat, so I get my food to go. And so I get the food and I leave. Uh, next week, cool. The uh, week after that, cool. I get a text from Jamel, and Jamel says, hey, just to let you know, um, this guy tested positive for the coronavirus. Mm. And I was there with them the whole time. So at this point, we didn't know anything. Remember, this was the Black Plague. This was certain death. This was the end of society. I fucking lost it. I called my manager. I called everyone. I'm like, yo, I had lunch with somebody who had the coronavirus. I was like, when was it? I was like, it was like 14 days ago. My manager went, you're fine. Like, you're okay. I could not shake it. I started washing my hands to the point that my fingers were bleeding the, the whole night. And then one night, I was on the phone all night with a friend of mine, and I thought that I was going to fall asleep after I got off the phone, and I didn't. Like, fuck it, just all night or whatever. Then the next night, I didn't. And then the next night, I didn't. And then the next night, I didn't. My body did this weird thing to where I would try to fall asleep, right? And as I was falling asleep, just when my body started to drift off, I would jolt back awake. And it would do this over and over and over again all night. And I never forget, there is one night, and I have a uh, uh, a Benelli M4 
under my bed, like a shotgun. And there was one night to, to where I went, I literally can't do this anymore. Like I, like my body was on fire. I would walk by people in downtown LA and they would be homeless people and they would be sleeping and I would want to switch places with them. Damn. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm like, I like literally, I can't do this. Like this is, this is like no possible way to live. Right. And I started laughing. I was like, I'm, I'm fucking need help. Like I'm crazy. Mm. <laughs> so I reached out and I started doing therapy Started doing therapy. I scaled things back. I got into my sleep hygiene. And, like, after a while, I started sleeping a little bit. And then one night, slept. Wow. Do you think that you just were holding it all in and just letting it all build up to the point where you just ended up with this irrational-ass conclusion, like your body not being able to sleep? Or where do you account for, how do you account for that? I think that the body-mind the body -mind connection is a complicated thing. Mm. And I think as we get older... You know, things that we had to work for in our youth that we didn't have to work for in our youth, we have to work a little bit for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't, when you was 24, 25, 23, 21, 22, you put your body through anything and it just snaps right back. But now there's a balance and a peace that you have to find. And sometimes you got to redo the roadmap a little bit. Mm -hmm. And for me, somebody who's always had like an anxiety disorder, being in the situation to where I'm thinking that society is going to crumble upon itself. It was a lot for me. Yeah. So I just had to find ways to cope and deal with it, you know? Yeah. Like there was a moment where one of my employees kind of came to me and they were super stressed out about the pandemic and everything. And like, you know, from a very practical reason, because it really looked like maybe we're not doing any interviews for six months or a year or whatever. Like what, like what is the business going to look like if we're like really fucked by this thing? And on one hand, I kind of knew that that was a reasonable concern, but at the same time, I'm just so used to having a fucking Superman this hoe through this shit. Like, I just, right. I feel like I can't really, like, worry publicly. I can't, like, be that, that uh, I can't show weakness, at least in this one part of my life, because there's so many people that depend on this. And if I, like, were to let it show that I'm, like, really worried, and I really wasn't worried, because I just didn't even feel like it was an option for me to be worried. Um, I don't know. I just I, I felt like I, I I really wasn't worried because I knew that I would do whatever it took to make sure the shit was all right, up to and including things that I shouldn't do. <laughs> and I guess that kind of was my attitude going into it. Is like if this needs to be a heroin trafficking operation for a few months, <laughs> maybe Let's we gotta get do out that. There. Get <laughs> Let's it. get out there. I got AD <laughs> with me. I know. Hey, no. And speaking like what you said too, Van. Like I used to have very, very, very bad anxiety as well too, bro. Yeah. And that's kind of like nowadays I have like I don't give a fuck attitude because it's like when you your mind like that shit can really fucking drain you. And yeah. like I remember I lost my homie Donnie B. He got killed on my porch. Like that happened. I didn't have no no one told me go go to therapy or something like that. It was just like right. niggas told me like nigga that happens in the hood. Get over it. Then I lost my homie D-Mac. Then I lost my homie uh, uh, Tree. Then I lost Marvin. Then I lost Solo. And the list goes on, and I'm just taking shit on, and I'm Bruh. thinking that wow. shit is normal, and it really wasn't normal. And then, you know, um, I went to the doctor, and they gave me these little, what are they called, beta blockers or something like that? I take those. Yeah. I want those. I've always wanted to try those. I didn't like that shit. Yeah, really? I take those. 
Because because you you were they they probably wanted to slow your heart rate down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And bro, it got to a point too, like like get the adrenaline out of your blood. Bro, I had it was a girl that I was dealing with at the time. Uh-huh. Every time, like I only felt safe in my own home. Right. And like we would go to the movies, and out of nowhere, like it'd kick in. I'd be at the movie theaters. I'm thinking, oh, I got heart problems or something. Heart beating like crazy. Feel like I'm about to pass out. I remember Having one time. Yeah, I'm, I remember one time I ran to the fucking um, uh, ambulance. I mean, not the ambulance. The firefighters I seen across the street, uh-huh. and it got to a point. The girl I was dating at the time, she was like, "I'm tired of this shit." Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. What? Like, no, for real, for real. Yeah, she's like, she can't do it. Yeah, I'm just like, man, what, something is like physical. Like something is mentally wrong with me because I'm getting tests and they're saying that I'm physically fine and shit like that and I didn't want to think like oh okay it's mental and I went they say oh you have anxiety mm-hmm. and I'm like you know you need to just let shit out and then that like changed my whole approach on everything like I just stopped shutting up after that I don't give a fuck no more you know what I mean yeah. and since then life has been way better I haven't had problems since then either gets me in trouble sometimes though. so I, 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 there was one point in my life where I was calling the ambulance so much that like I was sitting outside one time and I got the same crew again. <laughs> and the guy, <laughs> like, and I remember I'm sitting outside. I'm like, this time is the time. It's fucked up. And the guys are walking up. And I saw them. And I knew the guys because they had come out to my job before. And the dude was like, Van, do you want to go to the hospital? And I'm like, uh, I don't want to go to the hospital because if I go to the hospital, they're just going to tell me nothing is wrong with you. And the guy goes, okay. I want you to concentrate on something. It's not that something, that there's nothing wrong with you. That's not the thing. It's like you have an anxiety disorder. It's like the only thing is the prognosis is better, right? Because there's nothing wrong with you inside of your heart, inside of your body. Mm. But as far as what you're dealing with right now, this is a mental dysfunction that will progress. So stop looking at it as if there's nothing wrong. Because a lot of times they tell people that there's nothing wrong because they can't find a blocked valve or, Mm -hmm. excuse me, a blocked artery or a floppy valve or something like that. But there is, and you just got to deal with it. So for me, it was like there'll be years, years where everything is okay. And then one day at TMZ, passed out in the office, was gone a whole month. Mm. There'll be years when stuff is okay. And then sometimes it's not. But that's life. Like, what he's talking about right now, we never talk about that. We never talk about the fact that I get to 19 and niggas just start dying. Uh Hey, Jason's dead. Hey, George is dead. Hey, Teffer's dead. Hey, Drew is dead. Hey, just like, and they just start dying. And then you look around, you're like, what? I remember my my homeboy, Gino, shout out to Gino. Like, we talking one time and Gino asked me, he goes, Van, what do you want? I was like, man, I want to go to LA and I want to do all of this stuff. He's like, you know what I want? I want to live. He's like, bro, I want to live, man. And then you expect it to just move on. Right. It's just part of it. Yeah, I mean, I talk to people in here all the time who, you know, maybe had like 10 or 20 of their friends killed by the time they're out of high school and people who've seen, you know, people like blow their heads off with guns accidentally, like just in their house in front of them or they're they're sitting somewhere and, and people pull up and shoot their friend right in front of them. And so many people in rap or, or in the streets, whatever, they have never thought of this as something that is traumatic enough to warrant something like therapy. Whereas if you if you go over to the other side of the fence, you know, if some kid gets killed in, in the average like uppity, like, you know, high income bracket white community, if someone gets killed in your high school, 
the whole school might be in therapy yeah. for it, or at the very least, their friends are going to be doing grief counseling, all that kind of shit. And yeah, I just feel like there's a, a big extent to which that's just not really dealt with. Last night I was watching that Illmatic documentary on Netflix. I'm mm -hmm. not sure if anybody else has seen this. I have. But there's a picture of Nas sitting on the bench in Queensbridge with a whole shitload of people. And some of them are little kids, like 10 years old. And one of his friends goes through the whole list. This guy's facing a murder. This guy's doing life. This guy's doing life. This guy got killed. This guy got killed. This Like, it's, it's fucked. Nas is like the only one on this bench who still has a good normal life and do you know why because he had to get out of jail free card he had a mm -hmm. a, a singular otherworldly talent mm -hmm. and that's kind of the thing right that rescued him as a young young kid that pulled him away from all that because he saw his friend ill will get killed and uh yeah. he didn't i don't think he was there but his brother was there for his brother got shot in the shooting and after that they said we barely saw Nas around after that he just wasn't hanging out outside the apartments anymore yeah we a lot of times it's just like waiting for a um waiting for <laughs> waiting for a lottery ticket to cash in like mm -hmm. you've been living here six seven generations three four generations right we just hope to god somebody six eight we hope to god somebody can sing we hope to god somebody can rap and if that don't ever come because then and then sometimes it comes like when pop died you know what i think about so First of all, Pop, Pop Smoke, human being. It's a human person. So everybody thinks about Pop Smoke dying based upon like his ability to, to uh, entertain them and what he was going to become and everything that didn't happen, right? I look at the fact that the life is over and he barely got to live. You know what I mean? What are we talking, 20, 21 years old? But when somebody at that position in their life dies, there's a black hole that is created because especially in our communities, like that person brings just so many people with them, even if it's just tangentially. So like when we talking about Pop or King Vaughn or any of these guys, like this shit, look, I'm not about to preach to nobody, but <laughs> this shit is like, this is over nothing. This is really hurting things. Like it's just getting wild. And the reality is that there are so many victims that are created outside of just the person themselves. Every life is valuable. Every life means something. But in these communities, man, if, if people have the ability to move outside of that, it changes lives around them. Then mm -hmm. your cousin, I remember Ludacris had a verse one time to where he said he sent his cousin to culinary arts school, right? And then his cousin becomes a chef. Well, fuck, now they kids go to a good school. Now they kids get to go, now they live in, they got a better school system. They got all of this just because your man can rap. But if somebody takes him out at 20, 21, or 22, 23 over some dumb shit, over something that don't even matter, then you really rob the entire community of something. Because the main thing, the most dangerous thing, I think, for the hood or whatever, is the hopelessness. Because mm -hmm. once you teach a whole generation of kids that there's not even a reason to try, that, there's, that the difference between selling drugs and getting a job or staying on the block all day or, or, or really trying to do something to yourself, it doesn't matter because your life ain't worth shit and this is all hopeless. That's the scariest thing, that, that a whole community is going to accept that. And when you see somebody like Pop Smoke become so successful and then still get killed over nothing, I can't help but think that some significant percentage of the kids who worshipped him get that further engraved in their brain. Like, oh, there is not a lot else to life besides 
this gangbanging shit and and that even if i did make it out or even if i did manage to get that one in a million luck of becoming a successful rapper that they're still going to take me out of this world for my fucking watch and bro that's that's how i feel even like working with no jumper bro is like my brother gets out of prison and you guys hire him here like you know how dope that is like y'all stop so much shit that kiki can be doing right now too and you know, like like you were saying, too, with the trauma and shit. My house got shot up 24 times. My best friend got killed on my porch. I had to go to sleep in that same house the same night. And you can imagine the type of things that was going through my head. My uncle telling me, oh, this is your fault. You be hanging around and had people hanging around. And then when you figure out why that happened, you know what I'm saying? It's just, like, pointless. He yeah. just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. And when you see that mentally and shit like that, bro, it's a lot of shit that don't bother you as much and when you see it happen over and over and over and over again even like recently one of my homies called me he's like hey what's the call house just got hit up i'm like my nigga niggas is 30 now why is we still you know what i'm saying but i can't you know i was blessed to be able to travel and you know what i'm saying make careers and make hustles out of myself that my homies can't and i can't sit there and act like you know like oh i can sit there and say well that's bad to do that shit it's not bad, you know what I mean? People don't have opportunities and shit, too. So it's up to people like us to uh, put that out there and let people know, you know what I'm saying? A nigga told me the other day, like, damn, I never thought, like, street niggas should be doing podcasts. Like, you make it cool. I want to start a podcast now. I'm like, shit, I'm doing my part for my community, for niggas that look like me and that grew up like me. Framing it in terms of good and bad is doesn't work. Mm. You have to frame it in terms of what works and what doesn't. And we have to define for people um, what 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 the, what the definition of it working is, mm. and what the definition of it not working is. Right. The best thing about human beings is also the worst thing about human beings is that we can adapt and get used to anything. Mm -hmm. So that makes us very resilient in terms of how we're going to do stuff, both environmentally and physically. But it also means that something can become static and habit for a long period of time, and we can adjust to it. So. You talk to somebody, you go, hey, well, what do you want? Like, like, what do you want? There's Because there's a way to get what you want. If what you want to do is to have a home, have a car, have a good family, and then die a grandfather, well, there's a way to do that. Mm. If what you want to do is ride it till the wheels fall off, throw caution to the wind and do that, well, there's a way to do that too. The question is, at what point do you decide what that is for you? What works for you? I'm not going to tell you what's a good life to lead. And I'm not going to tell you what a bad, what's a bad life to lead. I can't do that because to do that to me is minimizing the situation that you grew up in. I can't say that to you. I can't say this is the right choice, this is the wrong choice. I can tell you this is a choice for longevity and prosperity. And this is a choice that is counter to that. Right? And that is empirical. We know that. We've seen that. Tony dies at the end of the scar, uh, out of scar at the end of Scarface. Ten out of ten times, don't matter how you watch, it, it's gonna end up the same. Mm. If it's, so, the reality is, if that's kind of where you are, then that's kind of where you are. But you have to show the other side of it. Mm. You have to make that accessible. The other side of it. Hey, this is working for me. Hey, I'm good. I'm not corny. I'm not lame. I'm not this. I'm not that. And you don't have to take these chances anymore. And there is a way to that. Mm. But you. You can't do it by vilifying someone who has no choice but to live in the circumstances that they were born in mm -hmm. and to figure out a way to live. 
Just got to give better options. That shout out to Big U. Big U's, the name of Big U's platform or the name of his deal is developing options. Uh-huh. That's the really shit, developing options. Like adding options to the table. You know what I mean? It's a big deal. I'm never surprised when I see somebody, you know, who is like in the streets or, or whatever, and and now they're 35 and they just want to live a good, safe, clean life. They, they got a family, et cetera. You know, at 35, it doesn't surprise me. But when the, when you meet a young dude who's like 19 and he already like has that vision for himself that he wants to have a career and he wants to build his way up and he wants to really have something, build something for his family, maybe it's a selection bias because so many of the people that were around in terms of the rap shit are the people who have these dreams that they're gonna like sell Percocets until their rap career becomes this big thing. Um, I was about to I say that there is, it happens every day. You know, kids made decisions to go to college. They made decisions to be pharmacists. They made decisions to, you know, sell my little cousin 18. He's like, I don't want to go to college. I want to go ahead and start my business and, you know, sell audio visual equipment so you could drive down the street and knock people pictures off their walls and all of that. So, it, you know, it just depends. But the reality is that it sometimes it becomes about what it is that, to your point earlier, like what it is that we highlight and what we show and what we glorify and what mm-hmm. we talk about, you know? And to be honest with you, more people with the internet, more people have choices than ever before. Right. You know, the, the people people are understanding that you can get into other things other than what's right in front of you. The, right. the internet homogenizes the human experience to a degree. You know? but, but like the most gangster shit will always be the most eye-catching shit. At least in terms of rap, it's, it's so goddamn easy for us to pay attention to who I smoke and... Uh, you know all that other crazy ass shit it's just th- that's where your eyes go you wonder how much good shit that isn't eye catching enough you sort of miss out on and yeah when when we say it like that when I, th- I think about you I'm like Van is a guy who, who comes from whatever upbringing and at a certain point decided that he wanted to make it and he was really just going to do it and not in a entertainer well, you became an entertainer or whatever, but I don't think you thought that you were going to necessarily right. be on camera yeah. or that you were going to be the star of the show or whatever. But, I, I mean, it's interesting to me because I don't really feel like I meet enough Van Lathans in terms of young people because if you have your head on your shoulders and you're really dead set on making a good life for yourself, that, does that sound like a hot up-and-coming rapper? No, not, not well, they, much, well, they, you know? well, they, they all want to make so they, they all want to make something out of themselves. Right. They all want a different wanna, dream. That is, is a different way. See me, and that's kind of an interesting thing. That's why I, why I gravitated to Kanye so much, is because I had an epiphany one day that a lot of the rappers that I listened to were insulting me. You know, mm. so I'm listening to the rap, and it's like, if you ain't a thug, you ain't shit. <laughs> if you ain't a soldier, you ain't shit. And I'm like, God damn. That makes it hard to do your history homework. You know what I'm saying? Like, all of y'all niggas sending birds down south. Like, right. it, it got to be somebody who ain't, right? And when Ye, was, <laughs> when Ye came around, he was like, yo, man, these double shifts at the Gap is killing me. I was like, me too. Right. <laughs> I was like, I was like, the college drop, I'm like, oh, shit, me too. Look, there he is. That, that, like, there it is. And since then, you know, rap has gone to different places. You got all kinds of guys talking about different experiences, but... The reality is, even in that struggle, even if you're not living that lifestyle, you understand what they're talking about, mm. which is the harder thing to like divorce yourself from. You understand because essentially when they're telling you about how bad things are, they're essentially giving you a, a sermon or a dissertation of what it is that they're overcome and what will happen if you threaten what they already have. Mm. 
And people feel that way. People feel like, hey, fuck with me and mine, this is what happens. My dad feels that way. Straight up, me too. Like, like fuck with me and mine, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Don't care who you are. Dude came to our dude came to our, our house, our door one night. It was late at night. It's like 2, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, uh, came to the house like, yo, these guys are behind me. Like, do me a favor and call the police. My, my dad was like, you know what you need to do? You need to go to the Circle K over here and use the pay phone. Because if these niggas run up here, like on my family, whatever, the guy goes, fuck you, I ain't going to no pay phone. My dad goes, oh, okay, pull, pull it out on him. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. This is a random guy who stopped by Random the guy. Saying that random guys of, were so going to kill in him? In the middle of the night, General Jackson, Gardier, Baton Rouge, Gardier Lane, Baton Rouge, guy's knocking on the door. Boom, 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 boom. I'm on the couch, sleep. I wake up. Dude's like, oh, shit, man, do me a favor. Call the police. Call the police. Niggas is after me. Niggas is after me. My dad comes in because I was too afraid to answer the door. My dad comes in. He has it on him when he comes to the door, right? Mm -hmm. Big 357 Magnum. And he goes, uh, and the dude's like, yo, will you call the police for me? Will you call the police? My dad's like, no, I'm not doing nothing. Get Take that off my, take that away from my door. <laughs> dude is like, no, nah, man, so fuck all that. Like, like seriously, man. dude's like, take it away from my door. Dude's like, and my, my father goes, look. And he pulled the gun out on him. Dude ran. Did that strike you as heartless as a kid? Did you understand? It didn't strike me as heartless. The only thing that did kind of fuck with me a little bit is he ran a couple of houses down and a white dude called the cops for him mm. and stood out there and waited with him while the cops came. Wow. And um, when I saw him standing out there, I was thinking, damn. But once again, my pops had seen too much. He wasn't, he wasn't going for it. Do you think that that was your dad choosing self-preservation over doing the right thing? It was absolutely him doing that. I also don't know that I consider taking him into your house the right thing because I honestly think you're introducing so much risk and danger into the situation right there. That guy could be a fucking crackhead. He could have just killed five people. You really don't know what's going to happen. Or the guy could have shot the house up. You know? You, you, or, or they could have, like, or they could have, if they were right behind him, right on him, as he said, they could have been coming up. They could have peeled up the block at any time. Uh -huh. And now they open fire on him for whatever was. I don't know if they were strapped. I don't know what's going on. But for whatever they was going on. But my dad was like, I don't want to be no part of it. I don't want to have no part of it. My son right. is sleeping on the couch. So he, he told him to leave. Where you're from, how do you think about it when you think about that young boy is the biggest rapper from the area you're from? I think it makes sense. <laughs> right. I think it makes sense. I think him... Him and Fredo, I think they they are Baton Rouge, mm. and Boosie was that before. But I think it, I, I, you know, I think it makes sense. I think well, I look at I look at those guys and I see Baton Rouge on them, mm. even the way they talk, in their demeanor, kind of how they came up, like the look in their eyes, and kind of how things exist where I'm from. It makes sense. Mm. Mm. But do you like? What do you think that you would have thought of that shit if you were 17? And do you think that that would have ultimately made you less likely to live a happy, long, successful life? Thought of what shit? The, the music, but less the music and more so like kind of the ethos that is being put out by somebody like Youngboy or Fredo, where it's like very, and it's not like there weren't rappers at that time saying the same thing, but it seems to me that Youngboy is the number one rapper in the world, basically, based on like, you know, YouTube streams and shit like that. Like, it seems kind of unique that he's had this cloud of extreme violence around him and he's that big. And a lot of his music, if you were a young kid and you listen to it, you might take it as like almost literal directions on 
How, like they love him for a lot of stuff besides the violence because I think young boy is a big part of why he's so big is just because of his emotional status the fact that he's like yeah. really willing to just lay it all out there yes he does act like a super thug but he also will really act in a way that is very far from that and I think that that is you know it's it's kind of hard for me to make sense of that when I think about just how I would view that if I was a young kid coming he, up he's with a that. product of his environment bro like he's literally telling you he's he's going through pain, he's having problems with niggas in the streets, and when you grow up in the hood, that's what you really go through. But you can only be a product of your environment so long. I feel like he's so big that he is now affecting and impacting no, 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 his no, no, environment no, no. through his words, he his music, right? When he goes home, bro, that shit is not off. It don't matter how big he is. It, if he goes to his neighborhood, he's still a he's still a target, he's still whatever. If YG goes to his neighborhood, it doesn't matter how much money he has, it don't matter how much that he's seen, you put it right back in there because you're the poster boy now for this whole community of niggas that's doing all of this bullshit in the streets. It's even not it, it you're right back then, but it, it's always with you. So when you when you're born, to a certain point you learn, and then maturing is actually about unlearning. Because mm. even like what it is that you eat and well, how it is that you are, like your parents give you your diet, your parents give you your religion, mm. your parents give you your ethics. And then you go up and you see the world for what it is for yourself, and then you have to unlearn that. How old is young boy? 21 or 22. So, so, the re, so the reality is that the process by which it would take for him to reevaluate what he thinks for his life, and I'm not speaking for the brother, I've never met him, don't know him, would take a while, oh, yeah. especially if he made it to where he is being exactly how he is. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just a second. And when, you know, when I was coming up in Baton Rouge, I mean, we had rappers, we had – um, none as big as the guys right now. We had Young Bleed, Soldier Slim. We had so, but that's New Orleans. But we we had we had Young Bleed. We had CeeLo, We had the concentration camp. We had a lot of guys that were doing it, and we wanted to be those guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, we it was the same thing. It's just what happened was P came through, and then a little bit after P, Baby and them came through, and they they broke the state as far as hip hop is mm -hmm. concerned. They they got us out there as far as that was, and then but it would have been the same thing like. I was. I just said a second ago. It was. It was the High Boys. It was Wayne. It was Young Bleed. It was MC Nero. It was all of those guys, right? Mm. All of those guys, and they was talking the shit that we was used to. Mm. I'm when man when Bowed it hit, bro. That was like that's a, a anthem for the way the whole state felt. If you go back and watch the video. Just the feeling, like you could, you can, you can smell the reality in it. The basketball court one, right? What are you talking about? Is the the about about it video the one that was on the basketball court? It's him in the project. Oh, that's a different one then. Yeah, I mean he might they make might him say on. um was the that one. Make him say basketball on the basketball oh, that was the basketball court. That's totally different. That yeah, was yeah, that was when they had vibe, yeah. that was that was <laughs> when they had made it. You know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that was the, the shiniest video of all time. Right. That was the with the tanks and shit. With the tanks, that was the basketball court. That's hard too though. But that was the whole shit. But you know, it is what it is. Everybody got a different journey. We just got to make sure that people got the right options and they got the right choices to make. That they those choices are available to them. You do what you can. Yeah, definitely. The the young boy thing though is kind of fascinating because he was in the position where he knew he was on probation, he knew he couldn't be having guns, and he still got caught up for basically holding guns. And and you know they they ended up getting the memory card from the the filmer or whatever, and they ended up seeing him with all these guns from there. But that very much and you know how does he get rid of the guns though? They killing they killing members. Of, they they shooting each other. How does he get rid of the guns? But he clearly has enough money to just hire security, not have to ever touch a gun again in his life. And and that's like his brother has gone on record as saying we will we get him security, and he doesn't want to use security. He doesn't 
want to play by the rules regardless of how obvious it is that he needs to play by the rules to not end up in jail but look at the ethos, and now like he's, you said. he's looking at five six plus years but you said the ethos of it the the image like yeah. we look down on niggas who get security in this even though it's not right but you know like there are certain rappers that once they got there's a couple rappers once they get robbed you like Oh, he ain't about to do nothing about it? Your mind already goes to this guy is this way. Something's going to happen if something happens to this guy. So when you see a rapper get robbed, you, in your mind, you're like, I don't even listen to a nigga no more because everything that he didn't spoke about in my mind now was a race. So these kids is looking at young boy like, you're this, you're this. Or somebody may say Lil Reese is the Grim Reaper. You know what I mean? And, and if he does something that goes against that, People are going to look at him and everything that he says and or ever did, it goes out the window. So security for a nigga like Youngboy, for his fans, it don't make sense. If there was one message that I could give to rappers, please get security. Yes. Mm. <laughs> there is nothing soft about safety. Mm. What the fuck are we talking about? What's soft about safety? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You walk in some place, and if you know people, if you got enemies or you got, like, what's off about safety? Get some security. What good is the fucking chain around your corpse? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Man, look, I don't I don't get the whole shit. I never had to. Like, I don't, I, like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, it, it, uh, look, I know, bro, I believe, it, if you tell me you tough, I believe you. Hmm. I'm like, all right, cool, turn the game on, let's play. It, <laughs> it took me a long time in my life to realize that it was just totally okay to just be a pussy and just admit. No, you what's use a bitch. pussy? Hold on, what's pussy? Hold on for a second though, because I gotta understand. Because I, because we gotta define, we gotta define pussy, right? Right. What's pussy about having security? Is the president pussy? It, hold on for a second. I'm just, I'm just asking you. Is is the is the president pussy? So you go swim at a at a at a, at a pool that doesn't have a lifeguard. Mm. Is that pussy? Is it no? Is it pussy to swim out a pool with a lifeguard? Is it pussy? Is it pussy to be safe? I just mean is in it the pussy? Sense that like what? What do we do? Is it? Is, is a seatbelt pussy? As Where a young it guy, it seemed like such a big deal to me to basically be able to fight. And as I got older, it just kind of became like, no. why would I? But I, but I guess bro, like having a gun is like a big part of that over time that that doesn't seem like it matters. But when you're in high school, being able to fight seems like it matters a lot more. But that's just standing up before yourself as a man. Yeah. You don't have to gangbang or do anything. for. And I tell people all the time, like somebody like like a lot of incidents that have been happening. Right. They'll get mad at Adam. And I'll be right here with them. And I'll be like, nigga, why don't you have that same energy for me? I don't care if you're from a street or whatever situation is. As a man, you're supposed to stand up for yourself. You don't have to be afraid to fight or anything like that. Motherfucking soldiers went out to battle, didn't have no choice and shit, put their lives on the line for this country, was little ass kids and shit like that. Like, like, nah, you don't have to do that shit. And like you said about the security thing, bro, the number one thing people glorify is you can't come back to your hood. You know what I'm saying? Look at Dirk. You can't come back to your hood, huh? Like, that's how niggas talk. Niggas say rappers and shit now be like, oh, you can't. Oh, he don't go to his block no more. I didn't heard this shit about me before. Oh, that nigga, he's, he's doing this now or he's doing this now. And I've been intrigued and I've been back to the hood and did stupid shit that could have got me locked away trying to uh, get justification from these type of niggas. You know what I'm saying? My, look, here's the thing. Now, you, I, I hear you a thousand percent. Look, man, this shit is really stupid. Like, So for me, it doesn't even matter if you can fight. It just matters that you fight. <laughs> exactly. It, it it doesn't matter if you can fight. Right. Like my my uncle told me one time, he's like, "Yo, um, you know, somebody somebody fucking with you, just make them remember you." 
Just let him know. He was like, yo, just let him know you're not the one to fuck with. Just make him remember you. But that advice seems a lot more pragmatic when you are not in an environment where somebody will shoot you. Well, here's the thing. You have no control over that. So it, 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 at a certain point, you have to understand, number one, who you fucking with. Mm. And, you all, and you have to set limits and boundaries for yourself. So it could have happened. It's just luck if it didn't happen. Mm. And to a degree, it's just an incident when it does. So you, there, there's no way to know. Like there, everybody that's been in a certain that, that grew up in a certain way, has fought with dudes that two years later, they put some work in and you was like, damn. Mm-hmm. Like you had a fight with somebody and then two years later, hey, you hear what happened to what's his face? It was like got ninety years for killing, and you like shit. Mm. So I mean that is what it is. And even when I look back on my you know high school career, I might be saying like it's okay to be a pussy now, but. Every time I fought somebody in high school, every time I stood up for myself, every, even if I lost a fight, all of those are actually really important moments in terms of like letting your peers know that they can't fuck with you or at least that you're down to fight back. You didn't die. And that that and, and, you know it's important for your own mind state yeah, too because you didn't die. I think about a lot of fights I had when I was a kid that like, you know, basically turned into like weird rolling around on the ground biting and hair pulling matches. But I mean, that's important to let everybody else in school know that and they, they can't fuck just with you pick after on that. You. Yeah, and, yeah, and I feel like a lot of people, these school shooters, and a lot of these people that snap in life, is because they're taught look the other way, don't do this and do that, and then mentally they can't take this shit no more. One day they just fucking snap. Yeah, but if they if they started knuckling up early and start being men at the end of the day, a lot of this shit wouldn't happen no more. I think well, a lot of those school shooters, they're taught their whole life that they have to be tough, and then they're not. They're taught their whole life that life is all about fucking bad bitches, and then at some point you realize, oh, I'm never going to get any pussy, especially mm-hmm. not anything that looks like the girls on the billboards. And then at some point, these guys are being fed all these messages about what the good life is. They realize that there's no possible way that they're going to get anywhere near that. And at some point, they're like, well, fuck this world. I'm going to just take as many people out on the way out as possible. But, bro, if I come here and I push you right now and you don't do nothing, that's sitting there telling the whole world that you can be pushed. Mm -hmm. And somebody else comes and push you and somebody else comes push you. And that shit keeps happening. Mentally, my nigga, you're going to react the way that you never reacted before if you don't know how to handle that situation. If somebody comes here and push you and you knock them the fuck out, no one's going to come in here trying to fight you again, bro. And that's what kids don't like. That's what the problem is now, bro, is that motherfuckers are so oh you should just turn the other cheek no don't turn the other cheek that shit builds character get your eye get socked in the eye get punched in the mouth sock somebody my nigga if somebody bothers you that's how the world works because if not whether it's business whether it's streets people are going to walk all over if you don't stand up for yourself yeah i mean the main thing is however you do it just don't allow yourself to be exploited or used by anyone however you do it you know, whatever it is that you do. People have different ways they fight different battles. I used to know, I used to know dudes who would do it with jokes. Mm. You'd be st- People would be straight up, hard up, ready to fight them. Step, step, come on, come on, come on. And they just cut them down with jokes. Mm. And, and, you know, everybody has a different way. But the, the reality is that um, it's just a lot of this stuff is just getting, the internet has given people the ability to build themselves and build a persona that kind of like drains their humanity from them. So you don't really know who like who the actual person is. Now, I think about this with like old dudes that still talking shit, you know, still doing stuff like that. Now, like we got grandfathers and we got like uncles and people that are still doing stuff like on the internet and everybody can do whatever they want to do, but the reality is, come on, man. 
like let go of the identity and just like be a person for a while. Mm. You know, and 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 that's what used to happen because you used to be able to detach from your fame. You would only pop up on the MTV Rock and Jock shit after your rap career was over. You would only pop up, but now you have to maintain this stuff in perpetuity, and it's just a lot of work. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day who was like, you know. Metallica used to like be on tour and then they'd be working at pizza places in between. Yeah. And that was considered normal. No, like most famous metal band in the world. But it was all, and, and growing up, honestly, like being into all these hardcore and punk bands and stuff, it was like that. Like the singer of the most popular band in that world would be working at fucking friendlies on the weekend. And it wasn't really considered to be all that like out of the ordinary. The thing I think in general that happens now is all these young, broke, normal ass people decide that they need to basically measure up to celebrities. So they think you need to wear a new outfit every day. They think that it's normal for you to be buying designer and stuff, even if you're not even close to that fucking income bracket. They think that, you know, girls think they need to look like fucking Kylie Jenner or whatever girl just got a BBL on the timeline. It's like there's no divide between what a normal person's life should be like and what a celebrity's life should look look like. So you just have all these kids with this super warped perspective of what they're trying to live up to. Man, Bars. bruh, real shit. Fuck them fucking watches and fuck all of that shit. You got a nice watch, though. That thing's staring back at me. They gave it yeah. to me. <laughs> Shout out to Tally and Twine. I, I don't know how it's nice or expensive it is, but they, it looks they, crazy. They, they, like, and you make me feel bad. Hold shout on. out to Tally and Twine. <laughs> nigga, that's a Rolex. Oh, look at, look at this nigga. You just want people to look at your watch. Show everybody the no, watch. No, I don't want to see that. Show everybody the watch. I worked hard for that watch. Because you know goddamn right that, that watch looks better than this. But the Tally and Twine, black owned. So but my saying is like, just, just be you. Because that to be at the end of the day, that's what it takes the most strength to do. Mm. It takes the most strength. And if you really pay attention to it, the people who really win in life are the people who are unapologetically themselves. Right. And that don't mean you're going to be perfect. If you want the watch, go get the watch. If you want the ass, go buy the ass. If you want whatever it is, go buy it. But do it because you want to do it. Mm. Do it because it's what you want. Right. Don't do it because you feel like you're, you're, you have to live up to something else. Right now, I got two, 2010 Honda Accord Cross Tour. My shit got 156,000 miles on it. Earlier in the pandemic, I went to go get this like big Mercedes. I was going to get the big Mercedes truck. We making money. We, we've been making money. <laughs> I wanted to get the truck. I'm driving this shit around. I could pay for it cash. Like I'm driving, shit, I'm driving this shit around. I'm doing the whole deal. And I get to the point and I go, I like my car. Mm. <laughs> that car meant something to me. Like it, it, it's like a thing. I got memories to it. I'm not ready to give it up yet. And who the fuck do I need to impress? Mm. Bars. And like, how many people are ever going to even see your car unless you post a fire Instagram picture in front of it? Well, I can pull up to Beauty and Essex and 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 and, mm. and Stun, or I can pull up to to any of these other places and and have I could go to some place and have them put my shit in the front, but. It's funny you said that's the last place I've seen you too. Beauty and Essence, yeah. <laughs> Shout out, like I, I could, I could, uh, I could, do, but for what? So what? Uh, that's not me. Hmm. That's not my thing. I, I don't. I'm the fucking egghead. So what the fuck do I need that for? As soon as you start playing the, those games, like you know, as soon as I really got like a big ass check, I got a grill. My girl bought me a chain <laughs> for my birthday. It took me. It took me like a week or two to be like. <laughs> I'm never wearing this again. I'm never wearing either of these things again. This is not me. I feel crazy in this shit. I might get you know? a chain because I, I have a, fan, a friend that does like stupid dope ass, um, stupid dope ass like design. He he came up with this design where he took the Harriet Tubman coin and he put it in the middle. I might get that. Mm. But 
you know. That's because you want it, though. It's because I want it. But you're going to frequently get mistaken for a rapper, don't you think? No. People know. People, people are going to see the chain. I, I see a chain, and I almost like don't even look at the face. I start trying to figure out what the chain says, like what <laughs> rap crew he's with before I I'm, even. I'm you know. way too polite. Mm. To people walk by me. Hey, what's up, sir? How are you? <laughs> it's a beautiful day. But when you go out your house to go grab a slice of pizza in the middle of the night, you're going to keep the chain on? No. Yeah, me neither. I don't know what the etiquette. You a chain ass nigga. What's the etiquette? Like what's the what's the etiquette? Like when do you wear the chains? Like do you do you shower with the chains on? Every single I chain, have before even when no. I'm in the house, right? You don't you don't No, you don't go to the grocery store with your chains or nothing, no. So what's like what's a chain level event? I mean, like if you go to Beauty and Essex, if you go to some place that's like a lot of people are gonna be at social gatherings, that's really it. The mall? Only if you're going to go to a social gathering after. after. So if you just go into the mall regular. Nah, you Forever 21 with your girl, don't, nah, don't get it? Forever, no, hell no. Nah. Hell no. Nah. Right. Basketball no, shorts, t-shirt, hat, chilling. pushing. Chilling. Flip-flops. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, because when I had a chain for a very brief period of time, I've been like taught by rap music that you don't tuck your chain in over my life. And during the brief period of time where I was wearing a chain, I frequently would think like, I'm going to 7-Eleven, I'm going to chuck my chain. And like, that, I'm like, that feels kind of crazy that like I only had this thing for a couple of weeks and I'm already like, you know, I, I, why, why do I want to be showing this off in 7-Eleven to the fucking random ass dude who works there and the one girl buying a lemonade? Like, I don't care what they think I mean, of me. But growing up though, those are like hood trophies and shit because like I couldn't wait to buy a Rolex. I like, mm -hmm. I always wanted one. I was just like, fuck, I'm going fucking grind hard so I can buy a fucking Rolex or get a certain chain. Like, those are hood trophies. Like, you know what I'm saying? The, the guys in your neighborhood that you idolize as a kid, they have a nice BMW. They come and do that. Like, if you watch Paid in Full, look look at Ace. He looked at fucking Mitch. He Oh, he got the new shit. Everybody got that. That's what you inspire to be like. And that, you know. Yeah, for sure. I always really liked rap music, but for some reason in, in my head, I never really thought, like, oh, I'm going to have all the things that they have. Right, because you couldn't see the time in, um, you couldn't see the time in uh in life mm. that where you would be able to mimic the rappers that all, you all i ever really wanted was like to have enough money that i didn't have to have a job or like do anything that anybody didn't want like told me to do you know well, now, congratulations as, uh, thank you <laughs> as a kid though that was that really was it like in my mind like when i like dropped out of college and like fucking moved to new york and stuff my mind was really on like how can i figure out how to make a hundred thousand dollars a year without having to do a lot of shit that I don't want to do. See? It was a lot harder than I thought. Yeah. Because but, you but end up having to do a lot of it's shit. It's a trade-off, though. Yeah. And at some point, you get addicted to working and being productive, and that makes it so it's like, oh, you were fighting to just have a lot of free time, and now you don't even want free time. Let me ask you something. How much, how much, like... Money do you make? No. <laughs> how much, like, fucking stock do you put into the fact that you are a quote-unquote boss? I try to ignore it. You I mean, do. I try to, like, figure out how to be a good boss, mm -hmm. but I also, like, don't really want to, like, do all the things that you get to do as a boss. You know, I don't want to, like, be screaming and mad at my employees and constantly telling them, like, yeah, you got to right. do that. I don't want to be. <laughs> I'm saying you have to wow. do some percentage you of do, that. You do have to do you that. You have yeah. to because people fuck up constantly, and I'm yeah. the fucking only person at times who really cares about the details. But 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like want to walk around feeling like that, but you have to. Like, you really just kind of have to acknowledge that because otherwise, who the fuck, who else is gonna care about shit the way that I care about shit? Every last fucking detail, every single little tiny detail, I consider part of how people are gonna view me. Even if it's like the business account tweeting something, if there's a, if there's a typo. This to me, like the person who posted it doesn't really have to deal with that besides me yelling at them. Yeah, because if the shit falls, it's all going to be on Adam. Or if there's a typo, I'm going to look like I'm the one who doesn't know which they are to use. I, I, I remember learning that when I, was, when I was working at Best Buy in college. Mm. Like the sales managers and the, the managers of the store and all of these people who were like going up the Best Buy ladder. Mm. They would yell at me about shit or they would say shit to me. And I'd be like, yo. You know I don't give a fuck, right? <laughs> like you know I don't care. Right. So I was a good salesman. So I was a really good salesman. So they would, but we would have these conversations. It's been like, man, you got to be. You, you realize that like this is for extra money. Like this is for I can go like out of town and play Marvel versus Capcom too. Like right. this is like I like I don't fucking care. But <laughs> this was their thing. This was their life. They wanted to, and their and. Your performance basically was their performance. And it's mm. just different. But it's just so much boss talk now and so much, you know, all of this stuff. Obviously, people talk about ownership and all of that. I just wonder if you take a great deal of pride in all of that stuff. I mean, I'm definitely proud of, you know, starting my own business and having it work out and everything. It's an amazing thing. But, but I try not to, like, fetishize it in the way of, you know, I hate people who talk about, like, oh, I'm a boss. Like, you know, no offense to Dame Dash, but he's had some pretty, like, epic rants about this that are basically, like, you know, somebody will say something about him and he's like, I'm a boss. You work for so-and-so. You can't even, you're not building ownership in this thing or whatever. It's like, bro, not everybody is meant to fucking have ownership in, you know, like there's a lot to be said for being a good employer, a good worker. There just can't be 5 million fucking, you know, bosses. I will say something about Dame though. When Dame does it, I think Dame is equating that to freedom. Mm. Dame is just, he's, to me, the reason why Dame is an inspirational guy to me uh, is because Dame is just free. Like Dame is, f Dame is one of the freest people I've ever known. And man, people think freedom is easy. It's not. It's hard. It's hard to be as free as Dame Dash is. Mm. And so when Dame is talking about, Dame says it, and it it feels like Dame is using it as status. It feels like Dame is using it to look down on somebody else. But what he's really saying is no one tells me what I can do and I am going to make sure that the people around me have a similar outlook so that no one tells them what they can do. Dame is like, yo, if I want to do a cool art thing, I do a cool art thing. Yo, if I want to do a cool music thing, I do a cool, cool music thing. If I want to do oil, if I want to do this, I want to do that. I don't think he's ever talking down. And, he, and, he, and somebody that has that, that really feels that way, they don't understand why you don't feel that way too. They just don't get why you would be okay clocking in and out because they feel like, hey, somebody's telling you where you can go and what you can do. And, and he, he always asked them, he's like, he's like, yo, you like that? And the reality, the question is, yeah, some people actually do. Some well, people, it, some it, people don't care. But what he's talking about is just freedom. Sometimes, I but think. once you've seen both sides of the coin, like from my perspective, if you work in media and you make a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year, and if the business goes to shit, you don't have to deal with that. And if you do a really good job, you can go to a competitor and say, "Hey, give me more money," and they'll hire you. And that, that's a very great position to be in, from my perspective, given that. 
most of those people who are in that position couldn't just go and start their own fucking media company. Most of those people are making more money working for someone else. I don't think working for someone else is you should never use that against somebody as a bad thing because of the fact that if you are a boss, I get you're not really a boss unless you have a whole bunch of people working for you. You're not really well, an entrepreneur unless you've created a bunch of jobs for people. So to then shit on people who just have a job doesn't really make any sense. They just have a boss who's different than you. Bro, I heard when I was watching you and Joe Budden's interview, he said he said that people don't know what the fuck they want. And right. they and they really don't though. You could give somebody uh, a position and they will bitch about freedom and say whatever the shit and then they get in that position and they're like, I don't like this or it is what it is. Like, nah, that shit's done. People well, don't know what the fuck well, they want, bro. I see people say that shit all the time about the podcast, about like, oh, if you take this person off, it's going to be fucked. Oh, if you if you do this, whatever. It's like, you have to be able to see the criticism and the advice and also know that some percentage of the audience doesn't really mean what they're actually saying. Like Joe Budden saying that he thought they should serve breakfast all day and then he never got it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's why McDonald's never did it for all those years is because they knew. That's how I could tell Joe don't really have a fat soul. Because <laughs> Joe, that, that's how I could tell Joe. Joe posts a lot of food, and so sometimes I'd be thinking, you know, Joe is like me, and that he has a fat soul. There might be a fat boy in here. The minute they put that all day breakfast up there, you six, were on it. Six thirty. Give me two McGriddles, five hash browns. Come on, we out here. I must not have a fat soul because I never touched it. But I also feel like Man, I'm at the point. All day. I'm, I'm at the fuck. point in my fuck life that. where I look at McDonald's like. Yeah, that's what I used to eat. I don't want to fucking I haven't eat McDonald's eaten, I haven't anymore. eaten there in so long. Yeah. But when you do you when you do eat there, for whatever reason, you'll be like, I haven't eaten there in so long. But when you do fuck with it, you're like, it is slightly lit. Oh, hell yeah. I could go to Big Mac right now and yeah. love it. But reality is, if I eat that salad in there, I'm going to feel a lot lighter. I'm going to feel a lot better. better. I'm going to fucking look a lot better over the long term. My problem for me right now, this is this is where I'm at in my weight loss journey. I want to share this. Me and you are brothers in the weight loss journey. Uh-huh. AD has not really admitted to himself that he is a, <laughs> a, a recovering, uh, you know, fucking cheese it junkie or whatever it is. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. What's your drug of choice? Right now? In go terms to, of food. Golden Oreos, man. That's what's keeping you chubby. Oh I God. love it. Yeah, my girl good. had a box of those in the crib, and it was fucking me up, too. Bro, my son is addicted to that shit now, too. See, bro. that's what's got me fucked up now is, okay, before the pandemic, I had at least a year or so there where I ate almost perfectly, worked out almost every day, and basically was doing extra cardio sessions. I got to the best shape of my entire life. Then the pandemic hits. I get all fucked up. But now, like, during that time period where I was doing really good, my girl was also on the same shit, and she wasn't eating bad at all. Now... My girl's attitude is different because she, for whatever reason, she's decided that she thinks that she's in a better mental state when she snacks a little bit and she has the food around and she can choose to eat a little bit of it. But as a result, I now live in a home where there are pita chips, there are <laughs> delicious cookies, there are, like you said, the fucking Oreos with the, the yellow, whatever they're called, the cream Oreos. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm trying to learn how to live my life and not become a fat ass even though my girl has all these delicious fucking snacks there on it every night and see bro that's what alcohol and and like on friday streams when i sit here and we just get fucking high that's the root of all evil that's evil and you know when you go to the clubs and shit and you bro the best thing to do at three four in the morning is stop it fucking jacking the box you know how bad what you're doing is but yeah because it's all a fucking slippery slope because then you're not sleeping as good Mm. and you're eating Man, the worst thing that happened to me in the pandemic is this guy who's a fan of the podcast. He's a great dude. He goes, yo, you know, I work at Kellogg's. 
He was like, yeah, we sent you some product. I'm like, yeah, it's dope, man. He's like, what do you like? <laughs> he, go, he goes, he goes, what do you like? I was like, oh, we like Cheez-Its. You know, we fuck with Pop-Tarts. We fuck with different things like that. I remember getting a call from a dude that was outside of the thing. He was like, you, do you have a pallet? And I was like, why would I need a pallet? He was like, because you have a, de- a delivery from Kellogg's. The nigga sent a whole <laughs> plank. When I tell you, he sent, he sent like, when I tell you it was like 30, I ended up donating a lot of the food. Mm, I would too. Yeah. Be like, I ended up donating, like, he sent a whole, but if you sitting there and there are Pringles in there and you think to yourself, I could be eating Pringles, mm. <laughs> it's like a blowjob. Think about it. Yeah. So, so it, 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 it's, it's really like a blowjob. Think about it. If the, the worst thing you can do is have the thought that I could be getting my dick sucked right now. Because mm. if you have that thought, and it's available, you're going to go and get your dicks up. That's like Pringles. The reality is that if Pringles are there and you could be eating Pringles, it takes a Herculean effort not to eat them. And I failed. Failed to the tune of like 25 pounds I was eating on that shit. My girl would be looking at me like, why are you eating it? I'd be like, get off me because it's there. Mm. That's the reason why I'm eating it. So it's just hard. And that's what I hate knowing that about myself is that during that year where we didn't have any snacks in the house, it was really easy for me to be really, really strict. I'm like a heroin addict who, if they see heroin, is going to do the heroin. But as long as you don't see any heroin, then you're good. I'm, I'm sure a lot of heroin addicts, honestly, are probably like that. But the problem with food is that everywhere you go, there's food. It's kind of hard to find heroin in comparison. Maybe not in Compton, but here at least. You know, I don't know. And, and then, like, with the whole Oscar thing, is that everybody just sent you... Like liquor, everybody, there was always a party. There was always an event. Everyone was so generous and stuff. Mm. So it was just, it was tough. I think I'm going to buy a little lock and put it on my girl's snack drawer Uh and just give her the key and just tell her like, girl, don't, don't let me in. You might break it. Yeah. No, I really, I might, yeah. Especially because we do these streams on Friday. We'll be on stream for eight, nine hours listening to their music, smoking hella blunts. I mean, your your fucking self control just kind of dissipates. How many blunts is hella stuff. blunts? I'm gonna say at least one an hour for the entirety, of, and even that makes it sound like nothing. Ten blunts in, one, in nine hours? Hell no, it's way more than that. It's way it's more. It's at least day. like 15, 16, 17, probably like. 20. I, I get to a point, but of, it's split between like four or five guys, so it's not that bad, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I get to a point of being high where it's like weird fear kicks in mm. every time. Like I can get a little. I high. used to be like you gotta I get just to do the, it more. <laughs> I told my girl that the other day She's like Last time I got high I got way too high I haven't smoked weed since I'm like It's like a muscle You gotta just I build it up I used to get super paranoid Now I go to sleep But now I don't go to sleep Ever No I'm talking about Off the weed Oh yeah It's not hitting you as hard <clears throat> A lot of people have a story though About how they didn't smoke weed For a period of time Or they got way too high One time And then that just stopped them Honestly weed is that kind of thing though Where it's like Sometimes you just have to just get high as fuck over and over to just smash through your tolerance. I'm at that point where now I could I could eat edibles right now and just do a podcast and be whatever. See, I don't like the edibles. I like mushrooms now. Yeah, that's some freak shit. Microdosing. Yeah, it's cool. I like this shit a lot, actually. It's good for anxiety. Yeah. You Maybe that's why I like it. Mushrooms are too intense. I'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in a German strip club. I got huh? Or ask AD. Ask AD some questions. <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you got? What what I want to know is, for you, mm-hmm. like as a rapper, mm-hmm. like to me, I look at all of these guys, right, and they they they're putting all of these songs out and they're doing all of this shit. Like, what is your goal? 
Like, what's the deal? Do you want to be the biggest rapper in the world? Is there something you want to say? Because a lot of the songs I listen to now, I don't understand what these guys are trying to say anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, what's your goal of being a rapper? Like, what's the point anymore, bro? And that was the thing, even, like, joining with No Jumper and shit, too. So I tell people all the time, uh, shout out to Lil Dicky. I fucking Lil Dicky hit me up. I did his television show, and I fucking uh, went to the uh, premiere. Uh-huh. And I went to the premiere and I watched in the movie theater with all of these fucking TV people, all these execs and shit like that. And I watched myself on a goddamn movie screen right? and see my name on the credits. And then all the fucking FX people come pat you. Oh, you're great. Pat you on the back and shit, too. And I'm just right then right there at that moment. I was like, I have way more to give than just, just doing rap. music and just the rapping and stuff, too. And, you know comparisons to me always have been Ice Cube, you know what I mean? Somebody right. who got into the game and went and did other you shit. trying to diversify your yeah. shit. Yeah, and you know, like, like I'm a big fan of fucking Donald Glover, Childish Gambino. I've seen him on a stand-up comedy on Netflix. I've seen him on the um, Spider-Man movie. I've seen him in the fucking Star Wars movie. I've seen him directing Star in Atlanta. i see him yeah. drop music, and right, I was like, too. you know, I can do all of this shit because I have the personality and I'm talented enough to do that shit. And I just want you to know that if the more you do in that world, the more you accomplish, the more that I will take credit for it and be like, yes, AD, <laughs> AD's a big actor. <laughs> yes, I brought him on No Jumper. Before that, he was standing on the corner with a glizzy and now he's a famous actor and it was all because of me. I'm just, I'm, I'm just warning you. Yeah. Well, like like I said, though, bro, and I feel like you put everything together, and that's what I want to be known for is somebody that came from the hood and did everything that he wanted to do and did it dopely. Do you think Lil Dicky is hip-hop? Yes, for sure. But We had, we had a long argument on, on Clubhouse, Rest in Peace Clubhouse. Yeah, it's over? Club. It's over. I don't fuck with it no more. <laughs> but I talked to him, and he said that his goal was always to have a television show. Like, that was his whole thing of – taking rap and getting into where he wanted to get to. And if you look at what all other rappers do, like somebody like Ludacris is like, yeah, your music catalog is amazing, but nigga, niggas might remember you more for Fast and Furious. Lil Dicky is actually one of my very favorite like TMZ success stories. Why do you consider him that? Well, for me personally. But were you just covering him very early on and before he became successful? Or? So I would say I can't remember the year. But if I looked at our DMs, I might be able to point to the year. Uh, that video he came out with, with White Dude. You remember that? You never, y'all never saw that the, song? The, not no, the Chris Brown one. He no, no, no. This is way uh, like the beginning stages. So Lil Dicky had a song called called White Dude, and the song is just brilliant because it's like it's triggering, but it's funny because what he's basically talking about is how great it is to be a white dude. Mm. You know what I mean? There's like actually a line in the song where he goes. Uh, where you where I eat at when I'm high is what you eat to survive mm. and with a picture of a KFC or something like that so it's just it's just, he's just talking about like white privilege but it's a satirical look at it right it's not that he's saying it's so dope it's like he's he's critiquing it right mm. and I thought it was really brilliant so I was like I'm gonna get this on TMZ I'm going to get this on TMZ so I had a friend of mine set up a shot at the Grove with uh, just a rapper that he was managing. And when I got this rapper, because he was a white rapper, I asked him if he had seen the Lil Dicky situation, if he had seen the video. So then we go from his thing to Lil Dicky's thing. Because when I came in the office, I showed 
Harvey the video, and obviously Harvey loved it. And so then they put Lil Dicky on TMZ Live. And I remember he did TMZ Live from his cubicle, from his cubicle at work. He did it. Mm. And that was like the first time that he was like on like television or something like that. I don't want to speak for him or anything like that. I don't want Scooter or Dicky to get mad. I don't want to speak for him. But Young Scooter. The Scooter Braun. <laughs> Scooter Braun. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, but for me, that was the that was really the first time that I realized. Yo, I could put anybody on TV that I want. And I started putting, I put my homeboys that you I knew. You put me on there. <laughs> you was on TV? Yeah, a couple yeah, times. yeah. I was like, I was, I was, I, that's why. I heard I you suppressed evidence that could have been used against AD. What evidence? Not him. Uh, oh, well, somebody else. else did. Who no longer works for TMZ. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, heard, <laughs> I, heard, I heard that they had content that could have potentially uh, landed AD or some of his associates in jail. Yes. And that they did not use it. Out of respect, which I was like, I, I did not even know that corporations would ever make a decision but like that. But you know why? That's because he's smart. I'll tell you something else. People don't understand is that AD had a good relationship with the people at the office. Mm-hmm. So because he had a good – there's something I call an awe factor. So there's two ways that people react to when a story comes in when you're at the office. One is, oh, shit, this happened. The other one is – Oh man, mm. somebody get on the phone and call so and so and so. And the all thing, that's the space for you to not get fucked mm. if they like you. So if something happens and they pick up the phone and you you pick up the phone and you call, you got two choices. You go, hey yo, fuck you. I'll give you guys, you guys fucking suck. Or you can go, man, this is what happened, blah blah blah. If you do the second one, it's gonna be better for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that that gives them that gives them the right to be calling and asking about people's personal business. I'm not over there anymore. They do what they do. But what I'm saying is, they liked him, so they treated him well. I have a question. What 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 is the crux of the little Dicky being hip hop argument? Because to me, I'm just kind of used to saying like, if they're rapping over beats. It's got to be hip hop, right? Like, even if they exist in a world that's way different than what you would traditionally think of as hip hop, it's still basically hip hop. The, the right? line is the line is so fuzzy now because some people say that about Post Malone. They say Post Malone is not a rapper, and it's like, nigga, yes, Post Malone is a fucking rapper. And there's a shitload of people that we give credit for basically being rappers, like you know, non-white people who you know basically make exactly the same kind of like. It was Juice World a rapper? Like, of course he rapped. But I mean, he made a lot of music that wasn't rapping, and we all still put that in the rap bucket, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. to me, so I, I actually talked to a couple people about this because I thought that Dicky was hip hop, right? Right. To me, hip hop is not anything that's really specific. It's about are you dope with what it is that you're doing, and if you listen to Dicky rap, he is obviously nice, right? He's a very talented Super rapper, nice. but, but I would also argue you don't need to be dope. Well, fine. You just you, need to be rapping. You just need to be <laughs> rapping. Okay, cool. Oh, but if you're rapping about your own experience and what's real to you, the authenticity. But I actually talked to somebody who is incredibly knowledgeable about hip-hop, and he said, nah, that's actually not it. And he goes, because there's actually less people that are hip-hop than you think there are. It's like hip-hop is a culture. Hip-hop has to do with knowledge. Hip-hop has to do with much, how much you've done for hip-hop. Mm. He's like, he told me, he said, Dickie is basically – this white dude that taught himself how to rap and he's really nice at it, but that don't make you hip hop. So mm. I think it, it could be on either side of it. I looked at it as, yo, if you rapping about putting a controller on your dick and jerking off and you really did that, well, then you're rapping about your authentic experience and that's kind of hip hop. That's, that, that's hip hop. To, to me, me, the only argument against Lil Dicky being a rapper would basically just to be to say he's too white for it to feel like hip-hop. But I think if you're going to actually treat hip-hop as like a label that really means something, 
I mean, you're going to have to include the whitest fucking rapper ever. Do you know what I realized in talking to these guys and talking to these guys about hip hop? Is that I don't really know anything about hip hop. Mm. It's like like, talking to these dudes and I didn't have the little dicky conversation with this guy specifically. I had it. There's a different guy that I talked to about this, like Ninth Wonder, right? Mm. I had a conversation, a two-hour conversation with Ninth Wonder one, one time. If you talk to Ninth Wonder, you realize you don't know anything about hip hop. Right. You have no clue. Like he 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 was able to con- connect current hip hop all the way back to like Lyndon Baines Johnson and the start of it in the Bronx and like why all of these things happen and w- the building blocks. And when you do it that way, it becomes much harder to exclude people. Much harder to exclude people. So right. people people who've actually contributed to it. But also the standard of it gets raised through the roof. And when these guys are talking about what, like, Ninth Wonder and Sway and all those, when they're talking about what they consider hip-hop, it's like it's a real cultural sacrifice that you have to make. And I don't think people look at it like that anymore. They think mm-hmm. you got a beat, you got some rhymes, now you hip-hop. And I think some of the other guys are saying, nah, it's more to it than that. Come mm-hmm. from the struggle, man. Yeah. It's like the difference between a dunker and a basketball player. They're, they're guys on, on the internet that make a living on the internet doing nothing but dunking. All they do is dunk. All they do is dunk. And they, they are amazing, better than guys in the NBA at dunking. But if you put them in a the game, they can't score. Right. So they're really not a basketball player. They're a dunker. They've been able to do one thing. But they're still a basketball player. Kind of. You know, because to me, it's like if you're going to use that definition of hip-hop, it is so vague and so vast that it is kind of almost useless because at this point, it is completely disconnected Adam from the, the root of it. Adam 22 says hip-hop is useless. Ah, <laughs> this guy. Do, do, do. The term. The, the, the term <laughs> hip-hop is kind of useless because it kind of, at this point, encompasses so much shit that is so nah. far away from the root of hip-hop nah. that you kind of like... like it. I, nah. I don't think you get to say hip-hop is only this because as a society, we've just gotten used to using the word hip-hop for everybody See, who raps over a beat. But right? he said the basis of where it came from... If if you stick to the standards of what hip hop is, then Van is right. Most things that people don't do is hip hop. Hip hop came from the struggle. So, it came of expressing yourself. He's rapping over the same beats as Benny the Butcher, and he's rapping arguably as technically well. What is the thing like? Just because Benny the Butcher is closer to like Mob Deep than Lil so, Dicky, so I don't is, really know how that so, stands. So this is my thing. I'm up. actually, I'm actually honestly telling you that I'm not really qualified to break it down, and those guys are. I would agree that I'm not qualified either. But. Like, but and, and those guys are. But what, what I'll tell you is that people are saying that there is a difference. Now, for me, I looked at it on, on the surface. What I looked at hip-hop as was feeling mixed with uh, ability mixed with just kind of you getting it out there. So I looked at Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy was the most hip-hop shit in the world to me. Agreed. And the reason why was because that was a kid that just was making shit on his fucking shit putting it on his MySpace very organically and building an audience. And to me, that seemed like the essence of hip-hop, right? Um, and Dickie seemed to be the same thing. If you're working at some corporate job somewhere and you rapping and then you come and you come in there, you beat doors down and you make a name for yourself for whatever reason, to me, I'm looking like, yo, that's hip-hop. But people will say that there is a higher standard and that the, there's a specific cultural definition. Mm. And one thing about that, and it gets tricky for me, is people inside of a culture they do get to define what that culture is. Mm. And I think that's something that mainstream America tries to take away from people. If you're inside of a if you're inside of 
whatever culture it might be, if it's Jewish culture, if it's black culture, if it's Hispanic culture, or more specifically like Puerto Rican culture or Dominican culture, they decide what their culture is. Mm. And I think sometimes when, when, when black people share their culture with America, we get to a point to where America starts saying, no, this is that. Mm. And that's the thing that throws people off. So with hip hop, what I learned, and I actually was trying to produce a show on it, you know what I'm saying, if, if me and Sway and I could ever get that. But um, what, what, what I learned is that people don't know shit about hip-hop. Mm. If, if what these two brothers and other people around, and I, you know, Royce and all of these other guys, because those clubhouse rooms that we were doing had all of these people in it that had dedicated their lives to this, right, that really lived and died with this. I'm a fan of hip-hop, but I don't really know shit about it. I mean, like it, it, it's so deep when you start getting into these conversations that I think we take it for granted that people on mics rapping would be that, that all of this hip hop. And, I, and, I, and, I, and according to their definition, it's not. I think it does make a lot of sense to me that there has to be a cultural component in it, even though I just basically said that Lil Dicky is hip hop regardless of the cultural component. But basically, <laughs> when I was, you know, 15 or 16, we would frequently have the conversation of, Fred Durst and Kid Rock, they rap, but they're not hip hop. Mm, like right. they're not making hip hop music. Now, granted, like Fred Durst probably could make a hip hop record or whatever. And there's certainly songs throughout the Limp Bizkit catalog like that basically now that you'd say they're basically rap songs. Song. You got rap, Method Man on it. I would say it was hip hop. It was a rap song. Yeah. Yeah, but we would always. I would say there are rappers, but it's not hip hop because culturally it doesn't fit into that box. Which I I totally understand that argument. And it is kind of freaky because when I think about a lot of the stuff that I grew up listening to outside of hip hop, like in, in metal, there's death metal, there's black metal, there's speed metal, there's grindcore, there's there's all kinds of there's hardcore, there's punk, there's pop punk, there's like they're really religious about their genres. Hip hop really has has never gotten into that in the sense that okay, there is horrorcore, there is you there know, was rap, there's there was conscious rap, rap there's yeah. gangster rap, but we don't really bother to make those distinctions and very often. And we compare those people to one another, which is something that in these other things they really don't, right? Mm, yeah. Like like uh, the Foo Fighters and Slayer. Tool or it, Slayer. It it's not going to be yeah. that they're not going to compare those bands. But even though we have distinctions in hip hop amongst those people. We still compare them to one another because the skill that they're exhibiting is something that we feel like is kind of the same. Comparing you know I mean? Foo Fighters and Slayer is is like comparing Young Thug and Jay-Z. <laughs> right. They're but both people, rappers, clearly, but they are very much competing in different ways where the Young Thug is not thinking about his art in the same way that Benny the Butcher is, even though they well, could be on the same track. Well, see, I disagree. And it's different, it's different it, walks of Well, life. there's a lot of similarity, well, but I would well, argue what, what that I would say comparing is, them directly side by well, side, who's the best, it seems well, you, like you, kind of a useless you conversation. You can't compare uh, Butcher and Thug, but I bet you Thug thinks he's the hardest nigga out. Mm -hmm. And so, the and the reason why he thinks that is because he's just listening to, how good does my shit sound when I put it down? Mm. Like, when my shit is on there, how, how dope is my shit? People fuck with my shit heavy. And Thug might say, people fuck with my shit more than they fuck with Benny. Mm -hmm. So that means that I'm better than Benny. Mm. If you listen to Benny, you know that it's just not too many niggas, period, who rap better than Benny. And that goes for Khan and that goes for Westside too. But when you compare that to other artists who are selling out the ass, they might think, hey, because people fuck with me like this, that means that I'm better 
than, than, than some of these other guys. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily have made these composites, but I'm saying hip-hop is so competitive that we compare these guys. It's different than that. Like, I remember I had a two-hour-long argument about whether or not Smashing Pumpkins was metal. No. I think They're not they hard are. enough. I think they are. I think I, I think smashing and we I remember and this is an, another one when I went on. Get I don't find, I don't think you'd find a lot of allies on this argument within the metal community. <laughs> Not a lot, but it's rock and roll. But they but there's some they have some metal songs. Probably yeah, they have some metal songs. Yeah, but see that's something that never really happens because Smashing Pumpkins is on MTV and Danzig is not. And almost every metal band that you listen to, every song. Doesn't sound exactly the same, but they're very, very, very similar. And in that way, rock music is almost more like a craft because to be a rapper, it's like you are this kind of free spirit who gets to float around between producers and you can just make music with whoever. To be a good metal band, you very it's like mastering this skill that is kind of like passed down through the ages and you all have to be able to like work together to play this music at the same time. And that in itself... I think drives people towards these specific genres, but also the fact that there are like built-in fan bases for those genres as well that are gonna fuck with you if you make those kind of songs. And there's a big, like I've seen so many bands over the years basically go, cause it always happens the same where a band starts out like very hard, over time, they grow up, they get a little older, they decide they want to experiment with like clean vocals or more melody, and then their original fan base usually sort oh, of ostracizes them as yeah. they move away from that. Um, but yeah, like rap, rap is very do, different. Do you, so you don't think that Thug has mastered a skill? Oh, I think Thug is probably, when I talk about like top five or top 10 rappers of all time, to me, Thug is like really probably the only rapper from like the last 10 years that I put in my top five or top Bro, 10. I you think, think Thug, you think Young Thug is a top five rapper of all time? I think for me, okay. given that I'm extremely ignorant of like everything pre-Snoop Dogg, <laughs> I probably would do that. And I realize that that might sound uh, horrible to like no, certain people. your list. But, but yeah, like when, in terms of my list and also just he's the most important rapper of the last 10, 12 years. Bro, everything that's wild. is regional. That's, I think. Hold on for a second. He's changed rap more than that's, anyone that's else throughout it. that time period. Man, shout out to Thug. That's wild. You can't. You can't. You really don't think that? The last. To me, think, that is think, so self-evidently obvious. You think. Okay, tell me how. He's one of them. Because he definitely is one of them. People just really didn't experiment with melodies and with that's not true. high pitch. F like him? No, like Melody, that's Drake. Okay, and I agree. Drake is by far the most important rapper. and I. But he's at such a level that I almost don't even bother to put him in like the top five of rappers yeah. or whatever. I agree that... In many ways, Drake had to exist for Thug to exist in some ways. Like maybe and Wayne that, too. Yeah. Wayne did it a long time ago. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne too. I don't feel like I'm not happy with the way that I'm ex ex explaining how amazing <laughs> what Young Thug brought to the table is, but I feel like he's definitely one of the most influential, like as in like I him agree. and Drake in the last 10, 12 years, the most influential so, for sure. So Young Thug is the most unique talent that I've ever because he showed all these kids that it was okay to be weird as fuck in a way, musically, in a way that I don't think anybody else had up to that point. So I think my, I, I think he got that from Wayne. I think, and, and not not even, not that he got anything from Wayne, because Young Thug, well, you know but, what? But he, he Wayne did take is it much more of a traditional rapper he in is. comparison to Thug. Thug took all that and just went totally left field right. with he, it. Right, he, you know? he is. I, I, I personally think, when I, like, when I listen to Thug, I am amazed at what he can do with his voice. Mm. That's why I say, like, when you, when what you talk about with metal is very important. Like, these guys are in there, and sometimes it's like a math equation, right? What with uh, the, the the rhythms and how fast they're gonna go and what they have to do and what you it like it meets a certain criteria to be metal right, mm. um, 
And I think Thug, if you listen to early Thug and what he's done, he's figured out his instrument. And of course, his instrument is his voice to where he does insanely incredible things with his voice now. Mm. But the question is, like, when you're talking about a strictly hip hop thing, and I, once again, I really, this is a good conversation. Like, would that be hip hop? I personally think it is. I think it all is. But I'm telling you, these guys, they have, I think the older hip hop heads or the anybody who's in the Zulu Nation or all of these guys, they have, they have very finite cultural mm. sort of things that they look into it. In. And if you grew up, in a hip hop scene in which like it's important that you be able to scratch and it's important that you can scratch and then spin around and scratch with your back to the turntables and stuff. A lot of times I think about those people's cultural experiences and I'm like, it must be really weird and strange to see what hip hop has turned into when you grew up in an environment in which sampling and going and getting records from the store was like the most important thing in terms of your understanding of hip hop. And let's not forget that when we talk about hip hop, hip hop originally, the rap was just the music. There was the DJ and there was the graffiti and there was the beatboxing. Right. The gr the graffiti and the beatboxing got left behind like thirty fucking years ago. Like that. that well, it just... came back a little bit, not the beatboxing, but the graffiti. Right. And there's still graffiti everywhere, and there's still people who beatbox. But in terms of like our understanding of what hip hop is, I mean, nobody bothers to mention I mean... those things anymore, which is kind of telling about how transitional this 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 genre is. That it could right. and basically that these parts of it could be so important and then now they could be basically never mentioned. I, no, I still like, it's, it still is mentioned and stuff too because the basis of it, if you look at somebody like NWA, that was their way of, like you're saying, fuck the police. That was their way of uh, expressing their self of what they was going through to the community right now and rappers are still doing that today. Talking about their struggles, about where they're coming from. I mean, police are still fucking killing us. They still beating our ass. People are still speaking out against that shit. And you know, like I was saying earlier, hip hop now was just way more accepted of way more shit. You said somebody like Fred Durst earlier. I think if Fred Durst came out in 2021, he would be considered a rapper because <laughs> now Aside we accept from them more. Being a band, yeah, but but he probably would have been popping on all these records. He would have been rapping on a Bruno Mars song, and we would all be like, "That's not a rap song." But Fred Durst is the rapper on that song. Because would Post Malone be considered a rapper if he came up around those times with the type of music that he's doing now? No. Well, it, there used to be an alternative. I, I listen to Hollywood's Bleeding, and it's great music, but that's like. That's like an alternative record. Yeah. I mean, that's an alternative album. Like that's not all his biggest songs are, yeah. are basically alternative yeah, songs like at the, this point. And you they, know? they they used to have that, like four non blondes and all of that stuff like that, where it was they're singing, but they're more like working their way through the melody. Not quite that song because she's really singing, but like you, there was a whole alternative wave. It went away, and if you ask me, Post brought it back. Post music sound good, but like I wouldn't consider it to be. He ain't rapping. He was rapping on White Iverson a little bit. Mm -hmm. He rapped sometimes. And he rapping on Wild a little bit. And that's but like, the thing is that people kind of put you in a bucket as soon as you come in the game. And I think when he came in the game with White Iverson, I mean, A, people forget that he was also like kind of lampooned for that because he really was kind of almost presenting himself as this like character of like black greatness. And it was kind of weird for a lot of people. But his music now is so far away from that. that and like what's his role on like Rockstar with 21 Savage? You know, he brings in a rapper. And then he basically sings on it. It's like, that makes me wonder, like, if Marvin Gaye came out making the kind of, like, if Marvin Gaye existed right now, would we think of him as an R&B singer? Or would he have just, like, also rapped a bit and sort of gotten the label of being a rapper? He'd be R&B for sure nowadays. He'd be, be R&B, but he probably would be rapping a but little bit, But it's so too. easy to just also <laughs> rap that, it, like, somebody like Juice World could have easily had a whole career making emo songs. But he's also just rapping because it's just, like, how, if you're great at making 
R&B songs, you could probably rap a bit too, right? Like people don't really see the genres that clearly. Like it's, be, I mean, Beyonce it's be, to them. Beyonce be rapping. Ex- Beyonce can hop on a song and basically be the rapper, and yeah, be- nobody thinks twice about it, right? Beyonce be rapping, and Rihanna was rapping on that. Rihanna mm-hmm. was Rihanna snapped on that that Pharrell shit, that Lemon. You remember mm-hmm. that song? I don't know. You get it, all you get yeah. it. Yeah. That was how I live it. Yeah, you don't know that shit. <laughs> Got block a lot of the, anybody singing. It just don't really make its way in here. Who is the who is the hottest little killer motherfucker that I'm not listening to right now? Because ESTG. Okay, see, he always knows. ESTG's fire. See, he's not I, like a little killer rapper, but he's like my favorite gangster rapper right now, in my opinion. I don't know these. The the deepest I've been getting in my bag is obviously Pooh Icy, who's huge, mm. who I love. Key Glock, who, who's huge. But I, I'm more like guys that haven't figured it out yet now. <laughs> Can yeah. I shout somebody out? Sure. From Baton Rouge? It's like, I want to shout somebody out. I love Fredo Bang. I love Fredo Bang all the time. Fredo is great. One of my but favorite Fredo rappers. Fredo out here, though. He is out here. I want to shout, I want to shout this dude out because I, I just got put on this guy from Baton Rouge. His name is Caleb Brown. No. Is that him? Yeah, Caleb Brown. I don't know. He's from Baton Rouge, bro. You might be thinking about a rap name. Caleb Brown, I don't know. Caleb Brown, that's not a good rap name. I mean, traditionally, I would say that's not a good rap name. Maybe if it's t- if he's so talented that Caleb Brown becomes a big name, that's gonna say a lot. Caleb Brown from Baton Rouge, I like him. I fuck with him. I like, I, but I like, mm-hmm. I like guys that I like guys that like. Um, you can still hear that they growing. Mm. Homie, the like fucking the homie Drebo, you know him? Drebo, Drebo. Mm-mm. Damn. These niggas is right here from the West. Why you don't support the West Coast no more? Come on, I support the West yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, well, you don't, that's crazy. We're not that deep. And, like you, if you say somebody like Draco or Blue Bucks or somebody Draco. like that, then you can. You gotta Blue hear Bucks yeah. guy. Y'all yeah. gonna play some Rimble songs? Oh, Rimble for sure Blue too. Who's Rimble? He's a fool who basically yeah. got signed to uh, Draco, or, or not even signed technically, but he just linked with them and they have a little thing going on. But he, uh, he got a couple of songs. Like he don't. Have, he only has like five or six songs out. <sighs> I like a guy who can. Re- he, there's a couple of the Gordon Ramsay freestyle. I really felt like Gordon Ramsay. His fire. And yeah, and he'd be talking about uh, about uh, going to Ruth Chris and shit. And in the interview, he just reveals that he's never been to Ruth Chris. I'm like, I know. Oh, but boy. he said basically, you go to every time you kill off, you go to Ruth Chris. So he's he, still at the point. <laughs> he said he's never been there. <laughs> so he's still at the point that that. But I tell you something though. That's why I like because he's still at the point where he thinks Ruth's Chris. Is a nice steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still there too, though. I mean, that's, oh, that's whoa, whoa, expensive whoa, as hell. Whoa, whoa. It's good, but if you were really rapping about a steakhouse, you'd probably go higher than Roos Chris. I say Mastro's. Mastro's, but Roos Chris tastes better than Mastro's. Not to me. Yes, it do. Nah. You know it do, nigga. Nah. You're just saying that because you I want like people to lamb. think you're rich because you got them chains on. Oh, my God. You want people to think you're rich because you're you you a rapper. <laughs> no, I go eat there. Yeah, the, they put the shit in butter, it's better. Listen, we don't have a problem with rappers. We don't have a problem with rapping. But we do have a problem with these thugs. These <laughs> those thugs. Oh, that was so legendary. <laughs> wow. No, yeah. but I like that when you see a young rapper who embraces something that you as an older dude already don't think is cool. Like when Chief Keef and them came out. and I'm a true religion fiend. And I'm just like, you were true religion. Those shits have been whack as fuck for years. They... They thought it was so dope because it was like the most expensive shit in the True mall. True religion is coming back though. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, when I walk in there, I'm like, I don't see why this shit shouldn't be hugely popular right now. It's, it's all back. this ridiculous. People always shit. recycle and it do the same back, shit. Yeah. Always. always. Back. But you know, I remember back then, like niggas was wearing jabos, but niggas on niggas in LA wasn't rocking no jabos and shit like that. Like, shit, where I'm from, that was the fucking 
Damn. Just, see, but you said where you from, right? Woo. But people used to like really doing that shit. Like really like, and even like with us, we we liked like platinum FUBU and niggas wasn't on that shit like that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, like, did you ever wear Johnny Blaze? Nobody on the West was wearing like Johnny I would Blaze. See it. Shout out Johnny Blaze, just interviewed her. But the other Johnny No, Blaze. Not, not. how did that interview go? <laughs> it was cool. Johnny Blaze. That's your lane, though. You got the ladies. Troubled women? No, I, don't, I, don't <laughs> know if, I don't know if I want to call them troubled. But, you know, you know the, the, the ladies, they come in here and they, they talk. You know, they, you did the show with Selena and with uh, what was it? Eliza. I do Eliza. feel like they gravitate towards me and don't try to fuck me and don't think that I'm going to try to fuck them, which is kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. Probably like a safe space for them to talk about themselves, too, where they feel like, you know, they, they're talking to someone who understands, who gets it, and who is not trying to, like, excoriate them for anything that they've done or anything that they've been through. Yeah, I'm very pro-sex worker. Yeah. I mean, that's important. I mean, we were just interviewing these uh, YouTubers, the minorities, who I think you would love, by the way. They're so goddamn funny. Um, but they, they, they were sort of, like, shocked that people are out here marrying porn stars. And that was like, I was reading the comments on uh, the, the Mike Malak interview where he's talking about breaking up with Lana Rhodes. And the comments are so singularly, what were you thinking dating a porn star in the first place? Of course this was going to happen. I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, Lana Rhodes is objectively extremely attractive. She objectively mm. makes way more money than... Any than any of us and anybody in those comments, right? And you guys are looking at this guy, Mike, who's a friend of mine, but realistically, he's a white guy from the East Coast in his 30s, and he dated that girl for like a year and a half, whatever. You got fucking a hundred billion YouTube views off of putting mm -hmm. her in his thumbnail, and you fucking dipshits in the comment think that the most important thing that he should be thinking about is the fact that she did porn a few years ago, even though she doesn't even do porn but, anymore. I'm like, you guys are this so is, lost, this in is my opinion. But see, the same exact thing happened when I told him about the cash app and women and doing things like that, right? Niggas, niggas in the comments were saying, oh, no, that's simplest, that's simplest. I had Jason from the minorities come with me to the strip club, drink, see a whole bunch of women, and his whole perspective was like, oh, shit, I understand where you're coming from? No, the you comments were right about that though. You are a simp, yeah. yeah. This is this is <laughs> this is a, this is cultural though. I remember we went to uh, we went to Cancun back in the day, and it was me and all my homies, and we had one of my other homies with him. He was white. We went to Cancun, and we go to like a wet t-shirt contest test in Cancun and stuff. And there's this girl up there, and um, she got like dark hair, and she had the most beautiful breasts. That I was like, God damn. And we was all like, look at that white girl. She got to do this crazy, blah, 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 blah. We were watching it. And he fell in love. After the contest, which she won, he goes and he talks to her. They start going back and forth. And they're married now. Wow. That's where they met. Yo, do you know how long it took my niggas to accept this? Really? Oh, my God. I remember when, because she had to transfer schools to come and like and like and be with him, right? So she had to transfer schools from somewhere like in Maine or something like that and come be with him. And the whole time <laughs> my homeboys would be like, yo, bro, this a dog. You met this chick, you met this chick showing the titties to everybody. And they would diss him about it and diss him about it. And to the point where at their wedding, she joked about it. She was like, yo, shout out to all of these people like when we was having talking after it, because you know, the first time they all saw me, like I was flashing my breasts to them. It's just different. Right. It's just different. Like they couldn't, they never, I mean, it's cool now. They got like five kids, but like, so it's, it's, it's like whatever now. I never cared, but like 
it's just different. People yeah. look at that is is a different way. Is that they look at that differently? Right, because I can understand having your reservations about a girl that just shows her tits on, on stage all night or whatever. But at the end of the day, bro, getting into a relationship is it's like buying a used car. It's like you, you know. <laughs> That this car has been on the road for a while. You know that all kinds it, of things yeah. might have happened. But if you could get that car at a low, low price because Jesus you realize Christ, that Adam. other people don't see the this value, guy. it's like it's like buying a at stock. A low, low value. It's like a crypto a oh crypto vagina. God. If you think that this coin is undervalued and that if you buy it, it might be worth and you you put some elbow grease into it and and two years from now it might be the most poppinest car on the block that's making two hundred thousand dollars a month off of OnlyFans. I mean, that's an investment that you want to get into. You that's what like the game pimp. is about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. my thing is, I just think the hate for, for sex workers isn't rational. Mm. Because if we didn't like them, they wouldn't be sex workers. Like, it, it, to me, it's just not rational to insult the person that you jack off to. It's like a stupid, weird thing. It's like a mm. weird thing that we almost do to make ourselves feel better. Like, at least we wouldn't do that. Like, we do some other things, but at least we wouldn't do that. That's one step before what it is that we would do. And it's just, it really has nothing to do with them. It has more to do with you. I, I, it's just, it's another job to me. And a girl, a girl will meet a dude, and the dude will be sleeping on his friend's couch at the bar, trying to bum PBRs every night, et cetera. And they will still see some hope in you. Like, a girl will still see that guy and think, you know what? He's got a nice jawline. He's got he a, could draw. He, he's got low body fat. They're always looking for the reason. Like, you ever seen this nigga sketch? They want to soup you no up. Job. Yeah. They want to fucking soup you up <laughs> and then drive that shit around the block. You need to be thinking about life the same way. Not maybe you, but no, 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 think no, about no, 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 girls like no, that. No, no, no. How can no. you upgrade? No, no. Her? You're you're right when you talk about that. Now, but nowadays the girls coming up now, they're not trying to see the potential in men nowadays. I'm talking about hipster ass white girls who who, yeah. who still will go for that. I agree that. In your world, hey, I, that was probably a little black, less likely. Young black girls now coming up, they're basically telling guys that if you work a regular job, you ain't shit and you're not getting no pussy from them. I don't think you can say that about all young black girls. No, I'm just saying the, the okay, the media, the ones that are pushing they that. Have, we have young black girls over there saying that that's not She's true. not giving niggas that work at McDonald's uh, uh, a chance. Okay, so Because she knows that we would well, shame well, her. Well, 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 casual <laughs> I'm not going to shame her. Casual question, though, seriously, because this is interesting to me. What is the... What is the obsession with the nigga that works at McDonald's archetype? So mm. wh why is it? I always say Foot Locker, but yeah, it's basically why the same is it, thing. Why is it virtuous that you like somebody that works at McDonald's or Foot Locker? Like, why is that? I'm asking because this is a guy that worked at Best Buy. Is all of this? Because if she was dating a guy who worked at McDonald's, then we would all 100% believe that she truly was in love with him. And that it wasn't based on anything besides his personality. I believe that because or maybe what, some free food. What, what, As a person that worked at Target before, like, but what I does, had a job before? But but what does love mean? So when I when I mean when I say what does love mean, I mean like who somebody is. It, that's a there's a lot that goes into that, right? So it's what you do, it's who you are, it's how you are, it's all of these things, it's whatever it is. So where you work is a part of that, mm. right? Because like. If somebody was dating someone who was a hitman, you look and you'd say, hey, how could you date a hitman? Right. Right? And you'd make a value judgment. So to me, when I look at somebody, a girl that is with a dude that works at McDonald's, I don't think that she's any more. I mean, that's dope. People that work at McDonald's and work at Best Buy, all of these people have relationships, by the way. All of these mm -hmm. people is fucking. 
You know what I'm saying? They all have relationships. But if you say that if if you meet a girl and you and she says, Hey, I have a certain outlook on life and I need the person that I would to have a certain outlook on life, I don't understand like why that's demonized. And like you said, but see the thing is too, is that okay, in this industry, you have the IG models and you have the standard of that. Girls that are patterning themselves behind that, they're not giving guys that work at Best Buy and McDonald's a chance. They're sitting there. They want to get BBLs. They want to get tits. They want to do that. Why do they want to do that? They're doing that for Instagram, right? They want to be seen by somebody that has a big bag and to eventually take care of them. And if you go back, and that's where the line draws where people like Kevin Samuels come, come into the middle of the shit, right? It's just that, okay, people don't call in there and saying, hey, he asks them all the time, what kind of guys do you want? Does he have to have, oh, I want a guy that makes over six figures and I want a guy that does this and does this. Okay, so if the if only 10% of men make six figures a year, why is every girl calling in wanting a guy with six figures? What happened to them? Honestly, wanting somebody to fucking love. Where, where, does, where does the line draw with that? Um, if my little brother works at Target right now and I bring him to the club, the girls in there are going to laugh at him because he ain't popping no bottles and shit like that. They're not going to give him no fucking ass. And that's where the media is doing. And you got girls like, like you said, the city girls or uh, somebody else uh, or Cardi B. Broke, broke boys don't deserve no pussy. I know that's right. Like, is that's what's, what's getting what, put out there but now. what's broke? So to, 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 to me, if you got income coming in, I think that's the thing that's the fun. So what's broke? If you got income coming in, right, if you got a job, you ain't broke. But they're fantasizing that these lifestyles, these girls don't want, they don't want a Honda no more. They want a Mercedes Benz. They want True. a big ass house. They want to go, they want to live. They want to go uh, skiing in Aspen. They want to go to Dubai. They want to go to Turks and Caicos. If that's what you patting yourself behind, you're not going to give a little nigga that's working at Target a chance because you so, want to be so taken care of. So thing you just said, when I was 19, I didn't know existed. <laughs> and I just want to say that I think that's a big part of why I turned out relatively normal was because I didn't even know that I had those things that I could aspire to. And that's something that's different about kids. And now. you also didn't have social media and you also didn't have right. all of the, the outlets that show you that now, because now girls will watch a show like Basketball Wives. And what does that tell a woman? It'll tell them, well, you can have a baby by somebody successful and you can make a career after that. So my thing is this, though. We talk about, you know, Kevin Samuels and the women hitting up Kevin Samuels and asking Kevin Samuels, you know, what they feel like they deserve in special man. Well, if you work at Best Buy or McDonald's, then what makes you think you deserve a beautiful ass? You know what I mean? And, exactly. to, me, and to me, there's nothing wrong with working there, but I think all of this has to do with entitlement. Hey, go find somebody that likes you and be with them. Don't fucking care about the people who don't like you. Mm. Don't worry about the people who don't like you. I think we need to do more of that, period. Facts. I, like, I don't want to hear no more, this person told me I would never make it. How about you introduce me to the people that told you you were going to make it? Mm -hmm. Like, where, am, where, where, the, where the teachers that was like, baby, this, this fucking paper is full of red X's, but I know you're going to be something. The, the people that helped you out, the people that put you on, I'm telling you, the brothers out there, the sisters out there that's working at Best Buy and McDonald's is somebody for you to fuck. Facts. Don't be pressed about somebody with 5 million followers. That ain't for you. Maybe one day it will be. But I think everybody has their expectations inflated, right? I think everyone does. That's why you see dudes on there stunting, trying to be in a game that they go out there and just be a person. Mm. It's just getting weird is my thing. It's all of these things. 
I don't give a fuck if you got a BBL. I don't give a fuck if you. Sometimes I think the shit is hilarious. <laughs> you know what I'm There's saying? Some like, cartoon like, BBLs you know, like, out there. Like, for sometimes sure. I think the shit is hilarious, but if that's what you want to do, and like, so knock you, yourself the fuck out. That goes back to what you were saying earlier. As long as you do it because you, you want to do, do it, it yeah. then it's different. Like. A lot of like the narrative now is is that okay if I get my ass done if I get this done a higher value of men are gonna treat me or want to to fuck with me and that's why a lot of girls are doing that shit now you know what I'm saying I've seen girls but it's say, working because the it same is working four or five chicks you know what I'm it's working it is working it's working I've seen girls get the BBL and they're in a young thug video like six months later and then their OnlyFans is cracking and they they don't even want to talk to the fucking dudes that they were talking to before that they used to be pulling up to the shop with and stuff I do want to point out though that it was pretty fascinating when we were talking to the minorities about this conversation because them being from Sacramento and not LA the way we were describing girls was so foreign to them that they clearly had not had much experience dealing with the kind of girls that we're talking about. But it's the same reason why we draw so much attention to a Pooh Shiesty or whoever, a gangster-ass rapper. We draw attention to the girls who are the worst, most toxic examples of girls just basically falling for this consumerist bullshit. And we ignore the fact that like, if, if I was single right now, what kind of girl would I be trying to get in a relationship well, with? Probably not that Adam, kind of girl. Probably a more normal girl, Adam, right? do you have the nice girls on your podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> the, played, yeah. the, 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 there's, there's the thing. You know? you know what I mean? We always gravitate towards the most shocking version of any of that. Like, when we talk about black metal bands, we talk about the bands that fucking killed each other and burnt down churches and ended up going to jail for eating each other and shit like that. When we talk about rap, we gravitate towards the most extreme examples of rap. And what does that tell the youth? That Mm. they have to do that to be accepted by somebody like you or or another platform. Because that, at the end of the day, it's all clickbait. It's all something to get you through the door. Yeah, the BBL, the ass might look disgusting in real life. But if it looks good in that Instagram photo, it's going to get the guy through the door. They're looking for customers one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think it all. we all think pieces to death probably a lot more than we should, you know? We, th- we, we think about it. We talk about it. We get mad based on experiences that we don't even have anymore, mm. you know? And we put a lot of our emotions into our critical thinking. I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else is. But the reality is, man, concentrate on who fuck with you. Mm. Now concentrating on who fuck with you is harder to get somebody to fuck with you. Well, fuck it, then it's harder. Mm. It's harder to find drill. Well, fuck it, then it's harder. But I can tell you, if you're open to it, you'll find it. It's like sometimes shit gets harder. Things change. It used to be back in the day in 1900, whatever. You go to a general store, you see a girl. She's 16. You look at her dad, you go, I want to marry that dare girl. <laughs> Imagine doing that these days. You know what I'm saying? You're like, like, they was young like that. Like, you go, you go, I want to marry that dare girl. You give her flowers for three weeks, and then after that, she has to stay married to your ass for the rest of her life. Nah, it's different now. Now women put some, some they got some skin in the game. They, <laughs> they choosing up too. If you, don't like, if you don't like it, then, you know, find somebody. But there's plenty of women out there that aren't like that. Like mm-hmm. when, like there's plenty of men out there that don't care about flexing on the gram. It's enough. Yeah. It's enough. They just got to find each other and be ready to build something. To build. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Sure. 
Do you think that the Rory and Maul podcast will ever supersede the Joe Budden podcast? I don't know. I think it's gonna. Be, I think when the Rory and Maul podcast comes, it's gonna be super hot for the for initially. Yeah, but I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Because who, who knows? I I like both of them a lot, but it also. You know, when you think about a podcast, you're used to there being the fucking Vladimir Putin leading the thing, you know? And Did like, you just compare Joe to Vladimir Putin? <laughs> and, and not with any reservations either. Oh. I think it's, a pretty, it's a pretty clear cut example, yeah. Jesus. But I just wonder, like, you know, is, any, is, is either of them ready to be the lead MC? And will there be a third added to the podcast? I wonder. I don't know. It's like you, They you, might get a third. I'll tell you one thing. I think they'll have a very successful podcast. Mm. I think, yeah, you know, when you say whether or not it'll be as successful as the Joe Budden podcast. That's a high bar. Yeah, I mean, there's not many podcasts are. If, so. they, if they end up at 20 or 30% of that, that's still a great business for them to well, have I think it'll be more you know? than 20 or 30%. Initially, I think it'll probably be almost like 100%. But yeah. I think that over time, yeah, we'll see where when it sort of settles. When you take pieces of anything away, it's, not, it's, not, it's never going to be the same. So even for Joe, like... Ish and shout out to Ish and shout out to my nigga. Um, what's my nigga name? Ice. Ice. Shout out to my nigga. That's my guy too. My bad. Yeah, but like it's a whole different dynamic. And then those loyal listeners, they're like, we we may go over there now. We may go over here now. So it's gonna be a divide for both parts. I think it's been a little bit more traumatizing than I'd like to admit. Watching that whole thing fall apart just because of the fact that. In terms of building out the No Jumper show and trying to create more shows and everything, I've always like looked at their dynamic as that's what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to have a a, a, a friend rapport thing going on with a couple of my buddies, and we'll be able to just really build like a consistent presence, like the way that they have with the Joe Bun podcast. To watch that all fall apart was was kind of upsetting, and it has really made me sort of like reconsider everything, at least in terms of like, okay, well. What, what do I have to do to basically make sure that we're not just building up a bunch of personalities on this show and that at some point it's all going to come crashing down because of, you know, some combination of business and personality? Uh, yeah, it's just sad. You know, it, it it's sad because it's sad for the listeners mm. and it's sad for those guys because one thing is for the listeners, it's a dynamic that they were sort of um, – tuning in for and Joe by himself is obviously super talented and Rory has his own energy and Maul has his own energy right but the dynamic between the the three of them it would be little moments in the Joe Button podcast that would be dope you know Mm -hmm. what I mean because you couldn't have those moments with anybody else other than your boys and to be honest with you people like narratives and the narratives of it's the three of us against the industry it's the three of us against all of these forces that are trying to cook things and we're standing up for the creators and we're standing up for for people that uh, that don't have voices in these rooms and we're doing it because we've done it. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing it, we know how to do this, right? We, we know how to tell you how to do this because we've done it. That's what we're doing right now. We're doing that, we're actively doing what we know you can do. And to see that, that narr- see that narrative more than anything fractured to see that fractured for a lot of fans of the show is probably the hardest thing because then you start to ask yourself, well, can that be done? Mm-hmm. So when you're saying that it's about a certain thing, if it's about creators, if it's about 
uh, people being independent, if it's about people locking together in community and brotherhood and going up against all of these other things and coming out on the other side of it, winners, right? If that's what it's about and that's how it looked, but that didn't work out, people start to doubt themselves like, well, no, it's the same shit. It's we're together, money comes in, we're apart. We're like we're apart. Mm. Same thing that happened to the fucking Temptations. Same thing that happened to New Edition. Same thing that happened. I'm obviously you know bringing up musical groups. Same thing that happened to a lot of other people. A lot of other people. Money come into it. This come into it. There's no transparency here. I think this is the way this is supposed to go. I think that is the way that that is the way that is supposed to go. We're not on the same page now. We gotta all go our our, our separate ways. And so the reality of that situation is that as a community, uh, you know, of creators, of black creators, of whatever we are, we definitely do want one time, one point in the future where that's not happening, where the money stops, where the fame stops corroding things that we've built together. Mm. I think if you really care about those guys, and obviously I know Joe and me and, and Rory and me and Mauler are actually close with, you know, th those are uh, homies. More than anything besides the drama, you're upset that that went the way that it went, you know? And, and it, But it speaks to a lot of deeper things, though, I feel like, in the culture right now. I hate the, the people who said, you know, Joe Budden, uh, there's a lot of people, I forget who was, like, most famously quoted as saying this. I think it was Charlemagne, but he basically said, like, Joe's good at starting things. He's good at getting something off the ground. He's good at getting it going. But ultimately, he'll always find a way to fuck it up. And as somebody who's been paying attention to Joe Bunn's career for like 20 years now, I really liked seeing him be so successful with the podcast thing because it made you feel like, okay, Joe's done fucking it up. Right. And then from my <laughs> viewing, my perspective, I do feel like ultimately the thing that killed the podcast was Joe letting his ego get too big and not treating the people that were integral to his business with the respect that they ultimately deserve. Like when I'm hearing Rory and Maul talk about not getting to see the financial statements and basically even, even if what they're saying is not real or it's not true, that the fact that they were able to get to the point where they felt so not seen or heard in regards to the, what they felt like they were deserving from the business, that's a failure of Joe's, you know, like he, the fact that they felt that way, regardless of what the reality might be, if there's a different version, I'm not. I'm just trying to not discount Joe's potential narrative about their side of things. But if you're employed, if, if AD ultimately starts to feel like Adam's not treating me fairly and this shit's all fucked up, then you know we need to have an open enough dialogue that when he comes to me and says that, that we can have a conversation about it. You know? I mean, yeah. So when you look at it, I guess their side of it is that they were on a, a profit base pay scale right and they needed accurate accounting to be able to know how much money that they deserve mm. and if i'm clear on what joe said joe said that he sent over accounting and they say they was on the excel spreadsheet and what they want to see is the actual language in the actual contract right that that tells them how much they they're supposed to be getting and joe says that he is was contractually bound to to not share that with anyone mm. so he can't share that with anyone let's say that all of that's true Right. There's a communication breakdown there somewhere. Right. Like even if all of that's true, right? Even if even if what he's saying is true and what's they're they're saying is true, there's still at some point a communication breakdown to where 
they don't know what they're entitled to. Yeah. And then even after they're told, right, they still refuse to believe it because the the table setting around that wasn't probably as firm as it needed to be. Mm. And apparently they had tried to, whatever these issues are, they had tried to work through them for a long time and they were unable to. And you think that if there was an out to it, if there was a way to figure it out, then they would have figured it out because they had the hottest hip-hop podcast in the world for X amount of years. So, so you would think that that would be the thing. And in the process, it seems like they ended up feeling so disrespected that there was just no repairing the relationship. Like there wasn't like Joe was going to be able to just show them the books and make them happy at a certain point because they ended up feeling so disrespected about the whole thing. Well, look, people have different personalities, right? There's a certain way that me and my friends sort of go back and forth. There's a certain way that I'm sure you go back and forth with your homies that that's, you go back and forth. So it, if it gets to a point to where nobody, where, where we can't even talk no more, then like, you know, what's the point? They mm -hmm. talking for a living. So if they can't talk anymore, anything that happens on the podcast, like would be fake. So um, all of this stuff is a symptom. This is a symptom of a greater type of deal. Mm. And the symptom is of us getting on platforms and talking about each other as black men, as brothers, as creatives, as all of this in ways that are derogatory and crazy. And the question is like, why are we doing that? Like, why are we getting on platforms and talking about other people's deals? Like, why are we getting on platforms? Because we don't know what's in other people's deals. Mm. Like, we really don't know. We can speculate and we can talk about who knows business, who doesn't know business, who knows this, who knows that. And all of this, to me, is it's corrosive, and I don't understand why we big willy in one another. It's enough mm. for everybody. And I have, and look, if I have political differences with somebody and I feel like someone is hurting people, then obviously you guys know that I'm going to be on my platform and I'm going to talk about it. Mm. If there's something, if I feel like there's harm being done, then obviously I'm going to talk about it. But the reality is that people are free to do business in the way that they are doing business, man. People are free to do whatever they want. For me, I'm going to be honest with you. The company that I have, Six Feet Over Productions, we produce Two Distant Strangers. We won, an, we won an Academy Award for it, right? That's me and my partners. We own that company. We own that company so we could exude creative control over that. That's why it's important that we have that. Other situations I do, I have partnerships, sometimes things, sometimes I'm employed places, all kinds of different situations. My career is diversified. I have a movie production deal. I have a, 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 a TV thing. I have my I have pilots in development where I'm working with people. I have a pilot, you guys saw 50 put up, a pilot, Hip Hop Homicides with 50 Cent, mm -hmm. Monk Scott Young, something that we're doing where I work for them. You know what I mean? It's all about what you want to do. And no one crafts for you how you should be doing it. And nobody's doing it right. They're doing it their way. They're doing it their way. And I think the saddest thing about everything that happened with Joe and Rory and Maul was that people really looked at the podcast itself as a blueprint about how to do something. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they shouldn't look at it like that now. It's not like they, they shouldn't look at it like that now. Um, you know, there's a different dynamic there now, but it's not like they shouldn't look at, like, look at it like that now. But the reality is I think a lot of people's trust in the message was broken. Not so much in the people, in the mm. message, you know? 
Right. No, definitely. I think that to a lot of people, like that podcast was the most relatable podcast they could imagine because it's three or four dudes sitting in a living room talking about shit. They could very much imagine themselves doing that with their friends. It just turns out these guys are a little funnier, a little bit more knowledgeable, a little bit more influential, whatever. And uh, yeah, I think people love that. And to see it so quickly sort of evaporate and for it to be revealed, oh, actually, this is a business. I mean, you should have known that the whole time. But for the, the, the family nature of it to just sort of fall by the wayside so quickly, regardless of who you might want to say is at fault. Yeah, it was pretty upsetting to a lot of people. And, and this is one thing that I think is, I think this with gangs all the time, I think this because I watched fucking Hotel Rwanda for the first time the other day, which in itself was fucking, tr- that was mind-blowing. Like, that was one of the most emotionally affected I, I think I've ever felt by a movie. But basically, if you leave motherfuckers to themselves and you don't attempt to sort of establish some rules, some charters, some some ways that you guys are going to be able to work proactively together, positively, then this kind of like infighting is almost like inevitable. If you don't have that sort of conversation and communication between people, it's just, it's so likely that things are going to end up this way. And that's why I just want to have, you know, with what I'm building now, after watching all that unfold, it becomes even more obvious to me I don't want anybody to ever feel like there's stuff that they can't talk to me about here. Right, right. And it's, once again, it's like it's it's about everybody defining what it is that they want for themselves. Obviously, it seems like things were working their way and people were in the dark about them. You know, just to, it, it, in the dark about them, misunderstanding, whatever it was. But, yo, man, we can talk about podcasts and business and all of that stuff till we blew in the face. Man, what about the fact that these dudes were friends? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that was the whole thing that we liked about yeah. the podcast is that it really felt like, oh, these guys are real friends. And also, just in a weird way to take pleasure or solace in watching somebody else go through something. It's it's weird the way shit goes for me, right? Because when when I think about now, right? And it's funny because it's a story that uh, that that like a we we have like a weird thing. Like one of my neighbors and I had a situation. Like we'll talk about that one day. <laughs> I don't know if we got time to talk about that today. Right, right. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is I what I really realized in that situation, I had said something about somebody on TMZ. They mm. ended up becoming my neighbor. Right? <laughs> and half of LA's <laughs> neighbor living there, by the way. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they ended up they ended up becoming my neighbor after years and years and years of kind of running into this person and ended up becoming my neighbor. So now they live on the fifth floor. I live on the first floor or whatever. So you have to see somebody. Now you have to say something. And you realize like the power of what it is that you're saying. Like these are people, human beings mm. that got families. But everybody is like that. So when you spit a word at somebody, when you say something about someone, you had damn well better mean it. And it damn well better be worth something. Like because when you say this about people, you know, I see pictures with Joe and his, his son and stuff like that. And that looks beautiful. Beautiful house. Beautiful that beautiful this you look at somebody that i came up out of all of the stuff that he came up out of if he winning man that should be exciting to me that should be like i'd be like yo man look at this black man that they can't kill you know so if i was to say something i would think about trying to undo that and i think everybody has to kind of look at things like that everyone has to kind of look okay if you're gonna shoot at somebody the question is why are you firing like what's what's the point like what are we doing? Like what? Are, like how are we going back and forth? Like what is all of this stuff? 
by the way, this don't have to be the end. Mm. It, this could be a season. Don't be surprised in the future. And I'm not speaking for Rory or Maul. I know these are, these are my guys. But don't be surprised in the future if you see everybody sitting back down on that couch. And if that happens, if they all do sit back down on the couch, if they in some time in the future get over it and whatever's wrong gets made right, don't jump in the comments talking about who weak or who lost or who mm-hmm. won. Just be happy about it. You know what I'm saying? Or if not, just fuck it. And if you don't want to fuck with Joe no more because Joe done done too much, then don't fuck with Joe. But just my deal is I'm going to be less emotional about everything. Mm. Just less emotional about it. Just less emotional about it. It's about what works for people, what doesn't work for people. You know? It's funny you say that because I feel like so much of what I'm trying to do in therapy is trying to basically get more emotional. I'm trying to like feel shit more. I'm trying to be less hardened and But you're tough. feeling your feelings, not other people's. Yes. So that's the thing is you feel your feelings, mm. right? Like feel the feelings that you have. Feel, be open to your feelings, right? Mm. Don't let other people dictate their feelings to you. Right. Don't let somebody get you out of whatever you're in, right? Mm. Don't let somebody come and make you and give you an emotion. You know, be emotionally strong enough, be centered enough to stand granted in who you are and kind of deal with the things that are coming and keep your logic and your analytical brain moving forward. Mm. Don't let somebody else give you their emotion. And I think, and that's the hardest thing to learn. The hardest thing to learn is to, is to, to not accept somebody else's hate and then meet it back with hate. Mm. And then take somebody else's pain and then meet it back with pain. That's very difficult to learn, especially when you turned up. Mm. Sometimes it's it's sometimes it'll get you killed. You know what you need to do is is take whatever they're giving you, stand, collect it, calm, and respond. And respond and not react. And so you know, once again, um, it's it's all love with everybody with me, and I just hope it's all love with everybody else. And you know, that's that's the way it goes. Well said. I hope Parks is okay in all this. Man, they're giving it to Parks the worst. <laughs> Why, just for holding Joe down? Yeah, they're giving it to Parks the worst. But look, I mean, fuck, niggas. Who is that coming from? Somebody playing fucking Candy Crush or something? Is that me? I'm nah. On Yuri. Everybody's straight, bro. Everybody's still making money. Everybody good. Well, you know. Yeah, because ultimately, like, as much as we all feel like fuck. Ain't me. Oh, man. <laughs> that was that Caleb Brown. We're all just looking around like it's a fucking ghost in the room. Right. Fuck. Um, shit, I think that was pretty good. We was on here for almost three hours. I oh, missed yeah. my meeting, but it was worth it. We don't really? I Who's your meeting with? I'll tell you later. Mm. It's not about that important. Yeah. It was important. This was pretty important. You too. blew it off? It's cool. I ain't, ain't every day I get to see my homie. That's true. Man. You know what oh I mean? My God. Good talk, man. Always, Appreciate baby. you guys. Always. For real. And um, anything you want to tell them to go check out? Caleb yeah, Brown. Man. Caleb Brown. <laughs> check out Caleb Brown. Check out uh, Ringerverse, nerd shit, at Ringerverse. Check that out. Also, Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. You got to bring on Compton Ringer. AD on, on Higher Learning. Definitely got to bring Compton AD on Higher Learning. I want to play some video games, too. 
I'm with that. You know, I'm big into that. What you fucking with on the video games right now? I like story games. I'm about to play Resident Evil. Oh, that's dope. The Village, yeah. That's dope. Yeah. I have some fond memories of playing Resident Evil for PlayStation in like 1998. So that is a game that I could see myself dumping some hours it's, into. It's totally different now. It's first person now. Yeah, yeah. but there's yeah. a lot of mysteries and scary shit. Mm-hmm. I could get into that. Yeah, I play with the, you know, I play with the Oculus. Real quick before I go, the What's Oculus up? like the fucking um. That shit was giving me headaches, headaches, man. You like yeah. that? I like it. I got Ooh. bad headaches from VR, bro. I like, bro. The Oculus. You know what you do? This is funny. You get the Oculus, and then you get somebody else to tape you while you're playing mm. the Oculus. You look so fucking stupid. Mm. You have like I'm. There's a game called Richie's Plank Experience, to where like you're up on like the. 99,000 floor and I did not go off and and like you're walking across a plank and you're walking across you're walking in your living room and you're like oh fucking shit scary as fuck bro I did that in Vegas they got some shit like that and it it really looked like you're on a fucking building right it's crazy it's crazy damn All right. next time we hang out VR (laughs) okay appreciate you I'm with it no problem (laughs) very rare Van Lathan No Jumper coolest podcast in the world check us out on YouTube SoundCloud iTunes like comment and subscribe Nojumper.com if you want to support. Friday, we'll be listening to your music. Appreciate y'all.